I do have to admit, I, I feel I feel more posh than we normally do in the current digs right now. This has been uh, this is my second time in this side of things over here, and it is pretty spectacular to get to look around. Even like the fact that even the table is nicer than anything we normally record on. <laughs> this table is from 1920. Wow. Yeah, so we just refinished it and looks good as new. Hopefully we don't fuck it up as bad as the one in my conference room. <laughs> no, I don't know well, what that one looks like, but I, I have, it doesn't sound good. There's something wrong with the varnish where every time we pour a drink over it, it gets a new ring on it. Yeah, it, it bleaches it instantly. I, I really love, I have space age technology where my uh, one of my masks is now doubling as a, a coaster, and I really want to keep rocking with that. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. dual, dual purpose. And then you can use it should you need to. Yeah. You know, it's right there. See? I think we're, we're friends helping friends. Oh, Charles, what do you think? Should we welcome everybody back to yet another episode? Yes, certainly. 42? You are, you are welcome to continue listening hey, to this episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is the episode where we're like, you know what? Fuck you. You're not welcome. You're extra welcome. Could be. Maybe by the end. Yeah. Depends we'll just... how much of this scotch we <laughs> end up drinking. How angry we get at our <laughs> it's listenership. It's only a couple percent alcohol, so you'll be fine. Just a couple. So, yeah. Well, this is the... This is episode 42, which means it's time to grab your towels. We're going to tell you the secrets of life. And if we don't get to those, we'll at least have a good time uh, talking to our guest. You've already heard his voice, and I want to kick it over to him so that we can discuss where we are and why we're here. So, sir, would you introduce yourself and let everybody know a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. My name is Derek Reed, and I'm the founder of Club Caraway. And uh, Club Caraway is a, it's a bit of a private social club. It's a men's tailoring house. And a private barber shop, and uh, soon to be members only cigar lounge. Ooh, yes, I'm which excited. We're all looking forward to. Uh, where is the location for people that are familiar with the Twin Cities? So we are 104 West Franklin. So we're we're basically right in the the edge of uptown downtown area, right on Franklin and LaSalle, right on the corner in Semple Mansion, an iconic building on the corner, and uh, the inside of the digs here definitely do the outside justice. Um, how long have you been in this space? So we, we actually started in the mansion. So we were in the main house uh, in October of 2019, I think it is. Um, could be 2020. Everything's kind of bored together through the pandemic. <laughs> um, and then we moved into the carriage house in April of this last year. Sure. And uh, yeah, here we are. So it's kind of a, a multi-purpose used. What was it previously before you got in here? This was a yoga studio ah. when we when we took it over. Uh, previous to that, it was you a can, law you office. You can see that it would work well for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they had like the right in the main area we're in in the lounge here. This was like the, the main part of the studio. And then the little private rooms there with like a little spa mm-hmm. room, little massage room, consultation room, that sort of thing. So... We're using it for much different purposes now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, full disclosure: we also used it for uh, for some purposes in in uh, honor of Charles. Do you want yeah. to explain a little bit about how that party went down? Um, Derek was kind enough to offer the space up for me to throw my 40th birthday celebration. Uh, so this is where it took place, and we had a fantastic fucking time. Yeah, I think fair. there was a good time had by all. It was yeah. It was it was all right. We had a, we had an okay time. <laughs> what's uh, what's the time frame? Do you think uh, now? I'm knocking on wood, and as somebody who has opened uh, just shy of 30 restaurants in my day, mm-hmm. I know about the funds with uh, uh, construction, and I know about how fun it is trying to get permits. But in a in a perfect world, when do you see the the cigar portion here? I I would estimate we're probably going to be open 
sometime by the end of February. Very cool. You know, maybe maybe March, early March, the latest. And we'll circle back on this, obviously, but uh, I want to get it on the front and on the the end. Uh, if people want to know a little bit more about what's going on here, like where would they find you on on the socials? Uh, so uh, clubcareway.com is a great resource, obviously, um, and clubcareway at clubcareway on uh, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Thank you for letting us be here. Uh, Thank you. You've you've brought out a beverage with which to uh, pair with our surroundings. Do you yes. want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is actually a new one. So uh, this is going to be from the uh, Alexander Murray and Co. Um, mm. And this distillery, it's a Highland um, Scotch, so it's 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 smooth. Um, it's got a little bit of a, a kind of a, a fruit undertone to it. Very good, very good. This is a thirteen year that we're going to mm. be enjoying today. So. Is, uh, my first experience with this. Yeah, is Alexander Murray, is that um, one of the Total Wine houses? I believe that they've you been working with... You could be with, right. You could be right on that. They've been working on buying up like batches so that they can do kind of what they've been doing with Brandy, where yep. you can get one from each year. Yep. Hmm. I was trying to figure out where I had seen that label, and that just popped in And, and they've got, like, if you go to the website, if you go to, like, the Alexander Marinko website, you can see the different distilleries that they've purchased batches from. And Fantastic. This is from the... Uh, Ooh. Yes, please. Tianinic Distillery. Yeah, I'm cruising their website right now. Just I don't know much about them. Oh, this is this one of these other labels looks a little familiar. It's, it's very good, like a white and red label. I love the. Oh, wow, they got a 23 year. I love the creamy notes in there. Yeah, that's that is that's that's fantastic. It's very smooth for the proof. Yeah, and even with a little bit of water in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. at 112, mm-hmm. where the players dwell, that is. Uh, boy, that's spectacular. Mm, yeah, that's really nice. And then <clears throat> I tried to get it as classy as I could, and uh, I grabbed some snub nose bottles of Coors Banquet. Well, I mean, the bottles make make all the difference. I just you know? felt like, yeah, this is like this is what I expect. Mm. Yeah, the Coors Banquet. Cheers, gentlemen. Is among our favorite of loggers on this program since we are not sponsored. Yeah, exactly. But we're usually drinking Coors <clears throat> Banquet, yeah. High Life, Tom's, Pragmatic, something in that neighborhood. Well, it's alongside also, the boozes, yeah, the, the boozes is tend to have a lot of flavor. We've we've <laughs> yeah. no, we've if there's one thing that they all have in common is that they've all been pretty uh, pretty strong as far as their flavors and their uh, their notes. So having something that kind of provides refreshment yep. and also a little bit of palate cleansing. Yep. Um, and I also like because there's inherent sweetness in the banquet. I like that sometimes that'll bring out some of the sweeter notes Absolutely. in in the spirits as well. Yeah, this uh, Alexander Murray sort of reminds me of uh, Nika 21. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah. It's got a profile. It's, I mean, I know that production-wise, there's a lot of uh, comparability between Japanese whiskeys and scotch. But that doesn't mean they all taste the same. This sort of reminds me of... Yep. It's got a profile that is akin to a lot of the product that Nika puts out. Yeah. And it, and it sort of reminds me of the 21 year. I love I love Highlands because there's that nice mix. There's that trade-off yep. of I, I do tend to gravitate towards sweeter whiskeys in all categories. Yep. And I like that Highlands tend to have that, but also still have that solid smoked peat mm-hmm. backbone. Yeah. Where it's not it's not quite all the way over that hill like you would with like a Lagavalin yep. um or a Lefrag. Yeah. And it's not quite um it's not quite as as malty and almost more um, on the molasses sweetness that you can sometimes get with some some lowland stuff. Yep. This just kind of Highlands have always been, even from when I first started drinking Scotch, have always sort of been the easiest for me to get to. Yeah. 
you know, I, I can find reasons and times where I would prefer something from all over um, Scotland. But if I had to pick one region and that was the only region I could get stuff from, it would probably end up being Highland Scotches. Yeah, you really can't go wrong. Delicious. Mm. Uh, well, should we uh, should we take another sip and should we jump into this, Mr. Charles? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. All right. Mm. So, actually, before we get into this, can you explain a little bit more about what you are doing professionally right now for work? Yes. Yeah, like in terms of like uh, what I do on a daily basis Correct. kind of thing. So, my background is, is menswear. So, I like to consider myself a bit of a designer, um, a bit of a consultant, uh, because a lot of what I do is meeting with clients and designing not only pieces, but wardrobes specifically for them. Mm -hmm. So it's a conversation about what they do for a living, how they're going to wear the garments, and then we can kind of, uh, you know, kind of steer them towards the right cloth, um, the right fit, because everything we make is from scratch. So... I take about 30 measurements, I take posture device measurements, and I take into account like how a client wants it, wants it to fit their body, and we make a paper pattern for them from scratch. So that's what we keep at the Taylor House. That's amazing. So every time we make, we make a shirt or a jacket or suit or whatever it is, we can just reference their pattern and replicate it. So it's, uh, it's a really, not only fun process, but I mean, people love it because it fits, yeah. you know, and you just get to pick out the cloth and have a little fun having a kind of a saying how it's designed. And, um, I, I love it. I've, I've been doing this about a decade now and love it. I have a suit in process currently. You do. And it's going to be ready. Uh, if not by the end of this week, very early next week. I think you were pinpointing the 27th. Yep. So yep. early next week. That's yep. the shit. Yep. I, I remember the first time that I had something tailored. And realizing that I had never understood what it meant to have clothes that actually fit me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that it was, it was almost like a watershed moment for me where, especially as I went through multiple growth spurts, mm-hmm. like if it fit, that was sort of like, or if it like, if I could get into it and not be like sticking out of it, right. yep. then yep. that was, that was good enough. Yeah. Until yep. the next spurt. And then yeah. you're like, all right, I guess I'm just going to burn that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm showing John Stockton thigh <laughs> yeah. and a little Tiffany Everthesen stomach and it's not looking good for anybody right now. So, <laughs> but that actually brings me to, um, I wanted to start here and normally we don't go really hard in on like what people do for their career, but I thought this was a question that I end up talking about a lot mm-hmm. when I'm at formal events. Yep. But if there was one thing, close circuit to every guy that's listening right now, yep. if there was one thing that you could say about fashion in general or very specific, it can be as, as wide or as narrow as you want. Yep. If there was one thing that you could just let men know, do you, what, what would that be? Fit. Have your clothes fit, you know, so have a good tailor, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a t-shirt, a button up, you know, whatever it is, if it doesn't fit you, go to your tailor, make sure it fits you right. I mean, cause something that's well fit is always going to look good. Plus so I need to say well fit. Yeah. And it's well fit, <laughs> you know, do you, um, with, with like off the rack stuff that people buy, yep. uh, do you, do you catch yourself wincing at that or do you just want to go like help where <laughs> where on the scale does it hit you it, you know it's it's a little bit of everything i mean when off the rack especially in like this day and age like 
what we do is on so far on the other end of the spectrum where there's no waste in what we do everything every piece is made one for one um there's no what we didn't sell for that season gets thrown to a clearance house gets thrown into a warehouse sure. ends up in a landfill whatever it is so it's um there's not a lot of waste so when i see things off the rack you often do not a lot of people fit that model profile right and that's really how they're basing the sizing is off certain models and so unless you're that right guy that can just slip on that 40 jacket or whatever it is and have it fit perfectly which is not everybody um you're gonna have a tough time finding things that fit you so um i am always observing before I kick it over to Charles, can I ask one sort of a one B to that question? Yep. And yeah, uh, like colloquially, it's always been like a, a woman can build her entire wardrobe around her little black dress. Yeah. Like have one of those, yep. and then you can figure it out from there. Yep. Is there a root piece that you would suggest for men who want to step up their fashion game at all? I would say it's one of two pieces. It's either a navy suit or a charcoal suit because you can wear the pieces together. Obviously, as a full suit. Or you can separate it and wear the jacket as more of a blazer, um, wear it with jeans, you know, and kind of wear it several different ways. So one of those, uh, one of both would be perfect, but one of those would be a good place to start. Nice, uh, Charles. What about you? Where do you sit on the? Yeah, it's an interesting question for me, being a creative director and knowing that with the territory of what I do for a living, being casual is almost seen as an acceptable uh, way to dress for me so sometimes i'm graphic tee jeans or hoodie jeans guy that's me probably 60 percent of the time 65 percent of the time and then i also like to really dress it up clean myself up and and you know wear suits wear nice clothes wear a nice sweater or what have you i think if if i were to advise somebody about uh their sense of fashion or style is just to uh be yourself you know don't don't try and don't try to look exactly like the guy you saw on the internet because your sense of style says a lot about you. Mm -hmm. And if you pretend to be somebody else, I think that it might lead people to, to fabricate who you you might actually be. That means that sometimes, you know, it's okay to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. I know for some people like Derek's always dressed to the nines. That's his sense of style. And that's also his personality. I think that's his preference is to always do that. I love doing it, but I don't, I can't. I could never do it on a day to day basis. It's just not my personality. So the way that I reflect my personality is that sometimes, you know, I can I can get up and go, throw on some jeans, throw on a tee, and then you know, similarly, it says something about me because I don't wear shorts, I don't wear open toe shoes, I wear I wear closed shoes and I wear pants. That's all I wear: pants, closed shoes. Uh, so I wear jeans even if it's 110 degrees outside. I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily say something about my personality, but it's just who I am. That's yeah. my sense of style. I'm wearing, if, even if it's a graphic tee or or any sort of other tee on a hot summer day and like a ball cap or no ball cap and some sunglasses, I'm wearing jeans, probably wearing cons, maybe wearing boots. Uh, and that's just, that's that's who I am. And of course, like your sense of style isn't what makes the man. Mm-hmm. You know, the man makes the sense of style. But I think if I were to uh, impart a singular piece of advice, it would be just maybe don't try to be somebody else. Figure out your own sense of mm-hmm. style. And people will accept or reject you on the basis of that notion as well. And it's okay if someone doesn't like you because you do like to wear a ball cap and a graphic tee and some jeans and some cons, then maybe that's not the that's not the friend for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I, I, I almost feel like I'm going to say the exact opposite thing. Yeah. And that's... Uh, give a shit. You know, like, 
actively wear what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Don't just wear it because it's like the thing. Because <clears throat> for me, I, I've I've developed this theorem over almost a hundred weddings that I've either been the officiant for, been the DJ of, or been a groomsman and or groom in. And there is always one uncle or cousin that shows up in like cargo shorts, uh, Jimmy Buffett, Tommy Bahama t-shirt and like a beat to shit dad hat. (laughs) And usually they're with somebody like a spouse or a partner who's dressed up and looks very nice. Sure. And it's hard this for me. In, this is in no way a contrast to what I said. No, I'm but just, I do. I mean, I, I appreciate the, but if I'm, I'm sure all of those guys would be like, this is just who I am. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think that who you are is I don't give a shit. And that's what you're trying to say is that I would wear the same thing to the grocery store as what I would to my nephew's wedding. Fair. Yeah. And, no, I'm, I'm just saying that if you, if you took what I said that way, that's not what I mean. Yeah. If you're going to a wedding dressed like you're going to a wedding, yeah. particularly, if, I mean, there are weddings where they say, just come as you are. We don't yeah. care. And yeah. then there's totally going to yeah. be like 30 of those guys. Yeah. That, Cause you know, if, if the groom and, and the bride, if that's their, their jam, they're probably mostly friends with Carhartt guy. Yep. Like that's, that is their crew, but which is totally cool. If like, for instance, with my wedding where we said, Hey man, dr- dress nicely. It's, it's an, it's an occasion fit for you to, uh, bring out your best mm-hmm. and have some cocktails and and feel feel fancy for an evening, and you show up in cargo shorts and a, a dusty baseball cap. Yeah, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> maybe maybe don't RSVP. Yeah, right. Maybe don't get the two hundred dollar plate. Well, it's, you, know? <laughs> you know, it's even uh, for me. Uh, there was one gentleman that easily should have been a groomsman for me, but I know how uncomfortable dress clothes make him, and yeah. so okay. you know eight years ago, I told him that my wedding present to him was not forcing him to get dressed up. <laughs> and every year that's gone by since I've regretted that a little bit more because I think it is fun to push people a little bit out of their comfort zone and remind, like it is very hard pressed for me to find somebody who doesn't feel a little bit better about themselves yep. when they see themselves in clothes that actually fit. Right. right. Not, uh, I just bought the cheapest suit at Kohl's because it was roughly my, my shape, yep. but like actually going and buying something, having it tailored to you, and then walking it out, like you almost see people have like, and some of my friends who abhor dress clothes, seeing them walk differently in a good way yeah, because they actually feel kind of sexy. They yeah. feel like, oh shit, I can actually look like this. Yeah. yeah. That it, was a it, dynamic. It changes your mood. The way you dress changes Absolutely. your mood for sure. I think yeah. many, I think most men and women, but I'm speaking as a man, yep. I think most men that don't always dress up when they dress up, they're like, God damn, I feel good. Cause that's what happened at my wedding. I had friends who probably hadn't dressed up in, you know, a couple, two, three years. And a lot of them were like remarking how good they looked and kind of like brushing their shoulders off and like, you know, posing for their wives there was, and stuff. It wasn't and just for the wives. Really I will say that well, before you guys walked down the aisle, we were stunting on each other. Like sure, everybody was walking up and like <laughs> catching a little fit and, yeah. and showing it off. I mean, that's, that is a cool feeling. And when you see it on people that aren't used to feeling that way, yep. like I remembered even going back to when I was DJing, 
I could get away 100% with a hoodie and uh, just sneakers and, a, you know, a pair of ill-fitting jeans. Yeah. Sure. Nobody really expected much out of me. Yeah. And the nights where I really wasn't feeling it, where I was trying to motivate myself, because you have to get, like, hyped up to then go to a nightclub yeah. at 10 o'clock and try and throw a party for everyone yeah. else. For several hours. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of, the, one of the ways that I would get myself into it was I would spend a little bit more time and I would dress up a little bit. Yeah. And then I knew that I would feel good because people would ask, like, oh, wow, why are you so dressed up? You look really nice. Yep. Cool. I feel better all of a sudden. I got a little more energy, and now maybe I want to do a little bit more. Like, not to put too much on the, the Jay-Z, Justin Timberlake suit and tie thing, but it yeah. is. Yeah. There's like a, I feel different when I'm wearing that. And maybe it's I watched one too many Bond movies as yeah. a kid or yeah. whatever it is. I feel like that person. Like, yeah. I deserve that. It, I think there's a reason, like, that this suit has, like, stood the test of time. Like, it's been around for quite some time now. Um, and I don't think it's ever really going to go away. Um, you'll see, you know, in the climate today, especially like working from home the last like, what, two years now, people have changed the way they dress. And um, I, I think now the people who are dressing well on a day-to-day basis for work are choosing to do it. I don't think they necessarily have to do sure. it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a choice now. That came up previously on an episode as well when we were talking about how the pandemic has sort of changed expectations, yeah. uh, particularly uh, beauty standards for women, having mm-hmm. to like spend all this additional time uh, above and beyond what someone like myself would have to spend to go to a meeting and how maybe that's actually changing to some degree. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that's a positive thing. Like Put in as much effort as you want as opposed to having like this minimum standard of spending hours getting ready for you know, a singular meeting that could have been an email. Yeah. I think, I think it takes approximately four products for me to get ready. And I can usually pull that off in about 15 minutes. Yeah. Front to back, like from getting Mm -hmm. into the shower to being dressed. If I know what I'm going to wear, it like, it is, it is unfair. (laughs) Bar soap, shampoo for my beard. I do shampoo my beard, Uh, toothpaste and a little facial lotion. That's how how disparate those scales are is just disgusting. Like I'll, I'll watch my wife sometimes and it's like, fuck, that's, that's just, I am lazy and I don't know if I would put that much work in if I couldn't get away with it, doing it this easy. (laughs) It is a lot of work. We kind of think we kind of take it for granted. For sure. Absolutely. Well, even just looking at like the differences in dress styles and dress lengths to like from one end to the far end of suits, like you're traveling maybe a city block. Yeah. Whereas women have to go through the entire fashion wheel and the entire color wheel in addition to all the materials and all that. And that's after makeup and hair and all that shit. It's, It's wild. I think it's fun that there are so many options for dresses. I know. I'm yeah. jealous. And honestly. Well, I, I buy my wife more clothes than she buys herself because it's actually fun. I'm also, like, yeah. ooh, look at this. Yeah. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I'll mm. tell you straight up, like on a hot day, a long summer dress sounds way more comfortable than any piece of clothing that I fucking own. I would 100%, 100% do that if yeah. that pull was. It off. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've I done the kilt you. for a very long time, so go. I have zero issues with that. Yeah. But to have just one big, long, flowy thing. Yeah. I just have to make sure it doesn't look like a muumuu, you know. I gotta figure out how to shape you it. You could a bit. maybe get a uh, a lightweight robe, like the dude. Oh, yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. We'll just see how quickly the dude abides for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dude is getting arrested for vagrancy. Oh, okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we should probably. I I think I took too big of a sip, so I'm gonna give myself yes. a little topper here. Yeah, slow down here. Two. Hey. 
big of a sip. I mean, we put that in sarcastic quotes, of course. Yeah, sarcastic quotes. What do those look like? Um, it's like the normal air quotes, but they're angled. Oh, okay, uh, so like kind of like, like pointed. A, yeah, like an arched like eyebrow. Raptor, yeah. It's like a raptor claw almost. Yes. Okay, raptors are very sarcastic. Duh. Yeah, they're known to be sarcastic. That's why they're. That's why he always <laughs> said clever girl. <laughs> exactly. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Yeah, that's spectacular. Topic numero dos. Derek, what is the best HBO series? Ooh, I can use this like of HBO's existence because there's quite a few. There's quite a few. I uh, feel like you got to go with in the in the entirety of HBO. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm just going to rattle off a few off of the top of my head that are some of my favorites. Okay. And they're they're quite the spectrum. So, sure. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yep, fantastic. Board, Boardwalk Empire. Hell yeah. Love it. Um, oh, God, what else? There's so many of them. I mean, Entourage is another great one. Never watched it. Um, you should get into that. Um, I'm trying to think. Succession, is that HBO? It is. Yes. Yep, that's, that's another great on my one. List. Yep, that's another great one. I mean, they know how to produce some content, you know? Man, they I really uh, do. Well, if you had to pick one. Yeah. Okay. So if like I had one. to pick one. If, if we had a battle say, royale. You can answer it, these questions. It, it's a tough question. A it's way. a tough question. But I'm going to sure. go with Boardwalk Empire because that's probably the one that I've watched the most. Sure. Yeah. No, I love that program. I yeah. watched that with my brother, Tony, beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, I really love, I mean, as you can tell with Club Caraway, the essence of the brand is like the yeah. 20s and 30s. And right. so, like, if you go back to the, that early, 19, early 1900s, that's the world I love. So, you know, that show is, like, right in the sweet spot. I would wear everything that Nucky and Chalky White wore in that show. Absolutely. Every single Absolutely. piece of clothing. Absolutely. Right. Even the super high-waisted pants that would make me look like a rotund southern gentleman <laughs> about to say something inherently racist. Yeah. Uh, I would still wear that outfit because, holy shit, did those... Like, everything looked good. Could you imagine wearing a three-piece suit in the middle of summer? Can you imagine like, what the, everybody must have smelled like? Oh, I mean, and, and mm. that's another thing. You're, I can. You know, you're not showering Actually. every single day, <laughs> right. I'm sure. I can picture that. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, even the even the bathing the suits, the swimsuits were like, you know, the one with the shoulder straps and right. for guys and girls, you know? The wrestling singlet. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. I just, I, I think about that all the time, that um, we used to have uh, an antique sign in our house that said Saturday Night Bath. And it was like a pressed uh, metal relief Mm -hmm. of like a kid with hot water being poured over him. And like to think, okay, you wore three pieces at least, depending on your undergarments that also were not, I'm sure, breathable. And you rocked that six days in a row until you sat in a tub and basically created like a a human stock. Yeah. (laughs) Rinsed it off. (laughs) And and like that was it. And then you just go back and do it again. And if you're like a family, you know, father goes first, mother. Yeah. So the kids are going last. So like I would hate to be the the youngest (laughs) child. The youngest kid's just (laughs) getting brined basically at that point. That's immune system building. Yeah. There There you go. That's... That's like that's weeding out the weak ones exactly. and also oh god that's, that's just, how I think that's how they got rid of the Spanish flu. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh man. Uh shit. I really I I've 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 been in love with Succession and I'm trying to figure out if I have enough um 
I have enough clarity right now to put that up against the pantheon of great ones. I really, until I got here today, I was really leaning towards Oz because Oz was the first show that I saw that really, really made me scared of prison. Mm. Like not just like that you might get beat up or, you know, the, the terrible rape jokes that dudes always make. I mean, like everything that goes on with having to find which gang you're going to be a part of Mm -hmm. and like, how do you avoid all of that? And to bring in, if you look at where all those actors are now, just about all of them went on to incredible careers and to have that without any quote unquote sexy leading lady to have an incredibly diverse cast and to not shy away from really anything I don't know that I had ever seen. I know some people would say the same thing about The Wire. Yeah. I just felt like those boundaries got crossed in Oz first, and The Wire had better writing. I could make an argument for The Wire. Sure. And then my, my dark horse. I mean, The Wire is like the runaway. That's what, that's what almost anyone would say critically. Mm-hmm. The Wire is the greatest show in HBO history. But The Wire also had an entire year doesn't that mean it's I your favorite, didn't like. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't you have know? to be your favorite yeah. just because it's quite possibly critically the best. I would if I if the question isn't what's the best if the question is what's my favorite it it's, is without a doubt it's Barry. I think that Barry? that show Barry. Okay. I think that well, show hold on. Barry's had two seasons. Two seasons. Yeah. Okay. So if you'd put that up against anything, but you're not sure about success as, as my seasons. as my favorite, not okay. what's the best because sure, sure. the, the original question was, was what's the best HBO series to you. This, well, of course it's your. This is an opinion-based matter. But but I would say the same thing. Like, if you said, what's the best song ever written or what's my favorite song, those are two different songs. That's a good point. And so for me, I felt that way about this question. If if I have to say what's the best, it probably comes down to Oz or The Wire with maybe a discussion about Sopranos. That's, That's on one side. If what's my favorite, it's Barry. Because you can mix... When somebody gets the the absolute ennui the boredom of being human and mixes it with like hyper stylized violence and gut-wrenching comedy and none of none of them feel fake or forced it is shocking to me and that show seemed to do it effortlessly where i would go from like stomach churning angst about something to agreeing with bill Hader that maybe this whole life is bullshit (laughs) to like oh my god that guy just got shot there was blood everywhere to laughing so hard I'm wiping tears away. Yeah. And I don't know of another show in the in in my television viewing history. I don't know of another show that I could say that about. Mm. And I also understand that's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. But for me it is. Yeah, Barry's great. Um I I think right now I would because again, you can answer the same question on any given day in a very different way. My answer right now is Succession because of how fresh the third season is yep. on my mind, yep. oh, it's so uh, and it's part. Of, it was part of the impetus for this question. I yep. just adore that show. It's so clever and brilliant. Like the personalities, the dialogue, uh, the sort of intricate interweaving of the family relationships and and this empire and and how um, the actual uh, succession of of ownership and authority uh, for this media company uh, is shifting and, and changing form. It's especially after the third season. Yeah. The first two seasons were fantastic. The third yeah. season is just like, Oh my God, this is so the intrigue is 
massive. Uh, you know, I could very easily say like Sopranos is the most invested I've ever been in mm-hmm. a series. I've watched almost every series beginning to end, at least the most critically acclaimed ones, you know, curbs up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the other thing I would say, so I qualify with this. I think the greatest single season of any show and technically it is a series unto itself as season one of true detective yeah season one of true detective as like a narrative beginning to end in a sense you have to qualify it for me i've I've come to terms with the fact that you essentially have to qualify that as being a miniseries yeah okay it's a series of miniseries so if if i could qualify it as a miniseries then i would say it's the greatest miniseries of all time i would agree with you it it is so good no that was another fucking amazing yeah yeah just riveting. I, I tweeted out, I think it was a year ago now, I tweeted out, uh, I hope, I've changed my goals for late in life, and now I hope that I can just enjoy life as much as Brian Cox is enjoying this role on Succession. Oh. He Every yeah. single word, He's he built eats like one. a yeah. fucking steak. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, I, it's... It's glorious watching an actor of his caliber. It reminds me of the same way I feel about Anthony Hopkins, where like every single word, even the most boring single syllable words sound differently coming out of his mouth. The way that he snarls through them or acts like he doesn't care in the face of everything. Like it is, it is a masterclass watching that guy just chew up a scene and I'm I have to almost go back and rewatch it again because yeah. I'm not paying attention to anybody else on the yeah. screen. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I mean, what a pro! Right? I mean, he just. I, I couldn't see anyone else in that role. No, you know, and I think that's a really uh, that's a good testament to him. Yeah, he he very much makes the role. The other thing I'll say is uh, Kieran Culkin is <laughs> his role on the show is star making as Romulus. Like that. Who knew that? Uh, Mac Culkin's younger brother was such a yeah. great actor, but yeah. he he has that role. I I guarantee you that he acts like that more in real life. And actually, I've seen I saw an interview with him where he said that he didn't swear swear that much in real life until he <laughs> uh, reprised this role, and that now his everyday vernacular is loaded with swears because he's just he lives he lives the role. He is Romulus. I think he originally read for Cousin Greg. Too. Oh my god! I couldn't god. see that. I couldn't see him. Oh, in that I role. think. I think you may have been the one who told me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, fantastic. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's. I want to do this Roman character. So yeah. it's also. I, I feel like you can't have cousin Greg be also physically small. Correct. Like yeah. there's something better about the di- dynamic of him being the biggest person on yep. the set or the yep. tallest person on the set, and also being like kind of the meekest. Yeah. But um, yeah, every- he's brilliant in that His role. His dialogue as well. too. That's another. <laughs> there are there are a number of characters on that show where the actors you couldn't imagine anybody else fulfilling yeah. that role. Yeah. Well, and Tom I just, too. Yeah, Tom. And I just found out role. that the actors that play cousin Greg and Tom um, have become best friends, mm-hmm. and so oh, really? all of those aggressive scenes between the two of them, they have to plot out like an extra hour or two of filming time because neither one of them can stop laughing when they're like actually yelling at each other because they're so close just as regular friends and it's neither one of romance. them it's a total Such great a romance wonderful but it's it's very tense at times where you're like is he going to punch him is he going to kiss him is he going to yeah. yell at him is he going to flip his desk is he gonna... the the desk flipping scene apparently that yeah. took them literally like they had to do that take like five or six times who had to reset that the this whole isn't, staff. this isn't really a spoiler by the yeah. way because yeah. Yeah. without context it doesn't mean anything that's the the director was like beyond flustered because they had to keep resetting that desk, <laughs> yeah. but they couldn't stop laughing at each Papers other. Because, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, they were laughing. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. Because it's impossible. Like, 
if you if you walked into my office and just started yelling and then flipped my desk, that's the first thing that I would do is immediately start laughing hysterically. Which, if you were actually angry, I'm sure would would probably make you but, more yeah, angry, yeah. Charles. But. That's that's the unease of their relationship is you yeah. can never tell if they're mm-hmm. being funny or angry or sweet or uh, that. And actually, I, I'm not. I don't want to spoil anything, but something happens where it almost like ties that all together. Where you're like, wait a second. Or do they hate each other? Do they love mm-hmm. each other? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's not a spoiler without context. This means literally nothing. Here's another funny tidbit. We'll wrap that. We'll put a bow on this. I, I told you this, Quam, I believe. When I was in New York City, I was going to go to a bar that was only a couple blocks away from my hotel called Ray's Bar. Mm-hmm. It's owned by Greg Hirsch, who plays yep. cousin Greg. And the, the reason I want to go there is because there's a hole in the wall that apparently has really great smash burgers. I didn't end up making it there, but who told me? Someone told me, hey, that's owned by <laughs> cousin Greg. I was Random. like, what? Because <laughs> And Greg owns this bar that I might go to tonight. That's how funny is that? Awesome. But how New York is that? That <laughs> yeah. the actor, one of the actors from Succession, owns a bar in, mm. in Why not? NYC. Just drinking, drinking swag beer and getting down on some some uh, delicious smashies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you do you recognize him from anything else previous to? to I don't recognize him. I don't know. If I don't at all. Yeah. I'm sure, like like everything else. I mean, I'm sure I, like, he's he's definitely one of those guys that I know from other stuff. But if you're asking me to name those yeah. other things, yeah. uh, I don't know that I could. I feel the same way about uh, Tom too. Yeah, just, like I know I've seen him before. He's been in some mm-hmm. things, and same thing, same for Shiv. Yeah, you know, actress who plays. I think she's Australian. She's Australian, yeah. and Tom's British. Yeah, Kendall is also British, if I remember right. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Brian Cox is Irish. I always get a kick out mm-hmm. of uh, Tom in the show. His parents are div- like divorce lawyers from St. Paul. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. From Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's. I always get a kick out of that. I'm like, somebody had to think of that. I'm you such know? a homer. I'm like, why don't you talk more about that? Yeah, exactly. Because it has nothing to do yeah. with the plot. Right? Like, yeah, like how I met your mother when yeah. everyone's wearing Vikings jerseys. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, here we go. This is my culture. Yeah, it's my people. <laughs> yeah, I want I want Shiv to have to go hide and they have to go to Minnesota for the holidays. Exactly, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I want to see the, fit right in. the beige yeah. and brown spread. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, skull. Oh, fucking a skull. Yeah. yeah. Skull. <laughs> I have had that question loaded up for a while, but the awkwardness of it is that you don't necessarily know if people watch HBO programs, even though many people do. And this is one of the only times where I think I semi-spoiled a topic because I simply asked Derek, do you watch HBO series? He says, which one? And I was like, do you you watch a series on HBO? (laughs) He's like, sure. Okay. That's it. You know, if you saw two, you'd have a favorite. It wasn't a a a free interview, just so we're clear. Similarly, not a spoiler yeah. without context. <laughs> yeah, man, I, that that question is going to be one that, like, I think every couple hours I'm going to change my answer on that. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. But I really, if one you have, I could say Silicon Valley. One yeah. day I could say The Wire. There's so many, one day, there's yeah. so many good. Oh, ones. so many fantastic. Like, even right now, I'm just thinking of other ones that have been from the past. Like ever since mm-hmm. you said True Detective, I had shoved that out of my brain because I didn't enjoy where it went after that first season. Yeah, yeah. But holy oh, see, fuck, was that first season? See, so good. I did, but I think that it was an unfair standard. To, to hold uh, the series to because the first season was just spellbinding. Like that, that would have been an amazing movie, and instead we got a ten hour, like a long movie. Yeah. yeah, even that episode, the the chase scene through all the yards and stuff. Uh, that uh, one roadie, it was a roadie run. That whole episode. 
that is a massive filmmaking achievement for them to shoot that the way that they did and have it be a single take where they're running through all these yards and fields. That that was wild. They've, they've done three seasons of yeah. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen the third one yet. Yeah. Uh, I hear it's great. It looks good. I've had friends tell me it's better than the first season, which I don't believe them, but it makes me want to watch it. It, it is. I, I've. I watch it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on yeah, that. And I enjoyed good. the second season, but again, yeah. it's just so different. It doesn't really, for me, it doesn't hold a candle. The first season, what doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean that it's not great. I thought it was great, but the first season is stupendous. Yeah, like, otherworldly good. Uh, this is kind of a, a mild digression, but I have realized I, I've never gone to any sort of like like film school. I never studied film in college. It was not a thing that I was really interested in. The single take stuff I've started to notice more in the last couple of years and it is always ends up being like the most breathtaking thing. Like the first time I remember it was in um, Birdman, the mm-hmm. Michael Keaton flick mm-hmm. where like two minutes into it, I was like, Oh my God, they haven't cut yet. Yeah. And it's yeah. going through all of the back hallways of the theater and yeah. everybody's just coming in and out. And um, I guess it would have been a week or two ago. Uh, oh no, it was when we were, it was, yeah. So it was a couple weeks ago. I was in Florida mm-hmm. and I don't have passive TV anymore. I don't have cable. So yeah, everything I pick, same. I have to choose. And I, for whatever reason, there's something in my brain that finds it incredibly calming to just like scroll through things and jump into something that's halfway done. Yeah. Like I, the, the passive nature of that, I don't know. I just enjoyed. Yeah. And, uh, the movie atonement was on, okay, which yeah. is yeah. James McAvoy and, uh, I think Kira Knightley. Yep. Oh, sure. Yep. I remember that one. There is like a four and a half minute long single take that must have involved like 5,000 extras, <laughs> but it's on, they do a single take on the beach of Normandy as wow. like the second and third waves are coming in. That's nuts. And part of it I'm, I'm drawn to because my grandfather was a part of the second wave coming in. Yeah. And part of it was like, how on earth could you have rolled the dice on that? You know, like, it's not, as far as I could tell, that wasn't CGI. Yeah. yeah and yeah. given, I mean, that movie must be at least 12 or 15 years old. So I just don't think they had the technology to do it. But then there's also enough speaking parts going on through it yeah. that you have to have actors in and all that. Yeah. And I started thinking about it and, like, probably five of my favorite 10 moments in movies have been a long take like that. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was like my thing until really Birdman was what made me notice it. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, now whenever, whenever somebody does that, I'm always floored by it. Have you seen yeah, the movie so 1917? Oh my God. That, that whole movie shot to be like one take. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I Isn't that how Birdman was shot? Basically. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a single take. Well, they had, there were, there are cuts like when they go, to different rooms. It's not. I haven't seen it. Okay. I just, someone had told me that at some point. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, the whole movie is meant to feel like that, like 1917, yeah. Yeah. where it's supposed to feel like if you followed the, that single storyline, that that would work. Yeah. But they do cut between rooms and, and whatnot. But it's just, that's ah, fucking spectacular. Yeah. In reality, neither 1917 nor Birdman was actually shot in a single continuous take. Right. Yeah. So yeah. They, I think they, that's the, the kind of the brilliant the brilliantness of the filmmaking, right? Yeah. It makes, it gives you the impression that it's a single take. Well, I believe that, the, yeah, it's certainly that they make you feel that way because people have frequently told me that that's the case. Yeah. And there are moments where they do two, three, four minutes in a row without yeah. a cut. Yeah. yeah. And that's wild to me. Yeah. Like, I, I just can't even. I mean, normal filmmaking you... is like 30 seconds cut. <laughs> exactly. Move on to the next, you know what I mean? Got to get coverage, three yeah. different angles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so immersive when film is either literally shot like that or made to look like it's shot like that. I mean, even in terms of video games, which there are no live actors, but God of War, the last one that came out on PS4, that that was shot as a single shot. There are no cuts. Mm -hmm. When there's a cutscene or anything, it just like zooms around uh, Kratos's body. The camera never cuts away. Which is really it's, smart. Like, how come? So why hasn't anyone done that? It just makes you feel like you're interacting and that you're part of what's happening, as opposed to it cutting or feeling like uh, you're watching like a movie scene and then you're back back to the action. So no, it's, just got me uh, all excited again for that goddamn sequel that might be out this uh, year or Ragnarok. next year. Yeah, no, it, they, it, it is next year. Yeah, they almost Sony never delays anything, and I think the pandemic is what delayed that. But mm-hmm. it's coming out yeah. next year. Boo. A little, cool. a little tie and bring it back to True Detective, the second yeah. season. That's yeah, one yeah. with Vince Vaughn, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, I made some of his wardrobe for that. No shit. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. So um, all of his shirts and I think some of his jackets that he wears in that uh, we made. Shit. Damn, that's why he was yeah. looking so good. Awesome. Awesome. Tying, yeah. Yeah. That's why I liked it so much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that <laughs> was, was, the, it was the subtlety. It was that's the subtlety. amazing. Well, yeah. shit. Cheers to that. Yeah, right? Good timing. Well, fresh off a, a fresh drink right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek, what is... We've had a lot of weird times over the last year and a half. Has there been a drink or a dish, cooking-wise, that's new in your repertoire that you've been really happy with? Um, over the last like year and a half, I've really gotten into... So there's going to be two things. Negronis, mm, which I, when I get on a kick on, on something, I'll, I'll just, re- just repetitively enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still on that kick. Um, so Negronis, experimenting with different ways to to make Negronis, um, and then I've been uh, making some uh, ribeye steak with um, uh, roasted garlic, some thyme. Been making that. I don't cook much, so this is a new venture for me. So well, walk, to walk me through that. your ribeye. Like, so, oh, oh, was that the one I saw yesterday? Yeah, on yeah, yeah. I made it a couple. I made it a couple times. Um, so you know, it's cast iron made on the cast iron yes. you know, stovetop. Um, the way I do it is I flip very frequently. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the way I do it. And, you know, it's about eight minutes or so. I enjoy it medium at best, um, you know, medium to rare sure. in that in that world. And mm-hmm. um, I've been kind of perfecting it. So I've done it a couple times. And yeah. I've, you know, the time. I've, you know, trying to, you know, perfect the seasoning and the herbs. And, um, you know, I've been enjoying the thyme and the roasted garlic that's been kind of combined with that. So. There's, I, I, I would argue that there are very few smells on earth that are more pleasant to me than roasted garlic. Oh. And then when roasted garlic is being, uh, is sizzling in animal fat, yep. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. just a whole different level for yep. me. Yep. And I cook it in avocado oil and ghee. Mm. So, and then I kind of base it a little bit. Nice. And so that's kind of a little. Keep that smoking point high. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And with the ghee, there's also less fat solids to burn. So mm-hmm. you'll get less smoke yep. from that. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. So that's my thing mm. right now. I, now I need to bring in something new to the repertoire. I like that. Negronis, do you have a, a preferred, uh, like a, a straight classic Negroni, or are you into uh, one of the myriad uh, different interpretations? No, I'm, I'm pretty classic with it. I've tried a myriad of different uh, things. Like I've tried it. Uh, so I'll do one for one for one in terms of the ratios. Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of like what I like. Um, uh, and I've tried some different... Um, oh god! What I, instead of gin, I did uh, Jennifer. Mm, if you've yeah, ever had that, absolutely. Um, so I tried that a little bit. Never heard of her. 
Um, it's it's more of like a Dutch. I think it's like a more of a kind of a Dutch. I don't want to say it's not a gin. I do know Jennifer. I'm just, oh, yeah. you know, I was going to say that was a terrible say, joke. Um, I hope you weren't relying on me to explain it because I don't <laughs> no. know that much about it. No. Um, I got to put you on the spot on a podcast. Right? So, uh, <laughs> what exactly is in Jennifer? <laughs> and God, what, I tried something else in it. Um, was it Grand Classico? Um, are you familiar with that mm. in terms of uh, what I what I do that instead of? Um, Instead of the vermouth? I think it's instead of the vermouth. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I still just love the classic. A little sweeter. Yeah. Is the, the Geneva that you used, was it Bols, like a, a bluish see-through bottle with like script writing on it? it? It was, I think it was green, and I wanted to say it was like Duff or Old Duff or something like that. I think oh! It was like a, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I actually, yeah. I, I just tried that for the first time uh, when we were at, um, when we were at Young Joni. That was that was the the Geneva that he that he had. Sure, um, but yeah, that's spectacular. We uh, Charles has a Negroni party every year, and I feel like this last year we really hit a pretty amazing, like disparate amount from John's uh, coffee infused mezcal mm-hmm. uh, Negroni good. to I did um, a Negroni Bianca, but I used mm. Acavit. Okay. So I called it uh, Negroni Biancavit. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, gin and Acavit are so close, and I talk about this too much on this podcast, but it, I like subbing them out for each other because yeah. it, it introduces uh, some caraway mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. rye and a little bit of dill into the equation. Oh, fantastic. And for me, I like the way that those spices uh, kind of weave together with all the sweet flavors that are yep. going on. Yep. And then I actually really like, there is a bitter note in um, those spices that I think is really reflected in whatever you're using for your bitter liqueur yep. in a Negroni, and I, I enjoy that interplay. But really, that's also just me getting excited about using You guys, you guys are much stuff. more sophisticated in your Yeah, I've been getting pretty, pretty to far get out there yeah. the more the years go by. I made Last year I made a... Um, so uh, if you make a Negroni with rum, it's called a Kingston. Okay. So last year, I've, I've probably mentioned this on the pod, but I... Last year, uh, I made a Kingston with cold press in it, which I called uh, coffee, uh, Kofi Kingston, yep. which is one of my favorite pro wrestlers because it was Coffee Kingston. And then this year, I did a barrel-aged uh, pineapple old pal. That was so fucking good. Which is, I wanted to taste like uh, pineapple upside-down cake, and then I had little brulee cubes of uh, pineapple and cocktail cherries if if this had been 10 years earlier i would have been walking around with what was left in that barrel with just like a like an active water bottle straw like the giant crinkly straw just sticking out of it drinking it like king kong on a bender there's still some in that barrel oh that shit was so good it's probably just so oaky at this point yeah exactly (laughs) well what's what's made it into your repertoire I'm constantly evolving and experimenting and trying new things. I'll admit that this summer, and I've admitted it on the pod, I I didn't cook nearly as much as I usually cook because I was out and about. I was dining out and going to barbecues and stuff constantly. Uh, I guess if I had to zero in and, and think about things I've been doing maybe more frequently of late or experimenting more with those things, uh, I will say that I've been doing a lot of purees. I've been expanding sort of the the things that I'll experiment with when it comes to that. Like I made a single single puree or like, are you mixing together ingredients and using that as a a puree? Like uh, are you just puree themselves contain 
multiple ingredients. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what it, that's unique. what I meant. Like, sure. right. you're not just blending up like Anjou pears and using that puree. No, here. like a uh, you know purple cauliflower puree that I made with a steak in one of the last grilling days. There's all sorts of stuff in yeah. there, and then push it through a sieve. Uh, most recently, what did I? Oh, I did a pea green pea puree with a leg of lamb that I prepared about a week ago, which is nice because you can get raw shelled peas at places like Whole Foods mm-hmm. that are fresh. They're a little starchier. They're not as fresh as they're going to be in you know the early spring months. But when you get those and very gently blanch them, or you can even do it raw, but I very gently blanch them. And then uh, I shocked them by adding cold cream to it and then all the other ingredients and then drilled that down. Um, when when you do that, it gives you it, it, that that verdant green color and that flavor of a fresh shelled pea makes you feel like it is warmer outside. So it's a very yeah. wintry dish because it was the leg of lamb and then there was like 30 elements on that dish. I went super overboard. But that taste of the green pea puree that is like super bright green, almost neon green, just makes you feel a sense of warmth. Um, Have you ever thought about shocking the peas by explaining that we live in a society with a very high standard of living and yet we still are shackled to a for-profit healthcare system? They didn't uh. buy it the last time I tried that. They <laughs> turned fucking, brown immediately. Fucking so, peas. Fucking peas. Typical. And the then worst. actually, so uh, Derek remarking that he has been honing in his skills on the ribeye This isn't very recent, but over the last, I don't know, 15 months, I've really been into picanha. Mm. Picanha right now is my favorite cut of beef of the moment, and it's been going on for a while. But uh, the only reason I bring that up is because I might do that for my Christmas Eve dinner. Instead of doing the rib roast, I might do uh, picanha and have that be the centerpiece protein for Christmas Eve Can you for our small give some listeners out there an idea of, of like a quick version of what that is? Like where the cut is? Uh, yes. So the picanha is a part of the sirloin. And my method of preparation for it is one of those cheats. There's no cheats. It's a cheat. It's not a uh, cheat. No, top of the, so uh, you might also know as a rump cover rump cap sirloin cap or a culotte so especially like modern day you would know it as a culotte because you can order a steak at a restaurant called a culotte and that's essentially that's code for uh, we want to charge you too much for uh, (laughs) what is otherwise known as a rump cap yep (laughs) so um my so my method of preparation after cooking it the old-fashioned way which is the way you'd get it at a brazilian steakhouse is i sous vide it because it's got a massive fat cap on it, and I like to preserve that. And when you sous vide steak with a thick fat cap on it, what ends up happening is that turns into like uh, beef fat jelly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You slice right through it, and not have to worry about it being sinewy or hard. And then you also get that nice temp all the way through because you want that rare, depending on the fat content, rare to medium rare. But being able to preserve the fat content and to get, no matter how thick it is, because they can be quite large, mm-hmm. to get that rare or medium rare all the way through and then blast it to get the carcinogenic flavor, to get it nice and seared, and then slice it thin, it's fucking beautiful. And, and you can't fuck it up if you do it like Well, that. and that's the thing. That's why I said not a cheat, because I knew you were going to go there with how you were cooking it. Mm-hmm. And I have seen restaurants try to get around that and just to straight do it on, on a, a grill, and it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's something yes. that to the point where I like I probably wouldn't order it at a restaurant 
because I know that that's how they're going to try and prepare it. That's a problem with the culotte too, because if you order a culotte at a nice steakhouse and it's super lean and they prepare it like a steak, sometimes it can kind of shrink up on itself mm. and it's just not very satisfying. Yep. And they're still asking you for seventy dollars. Of course, eh. I, there was there was a culotte that I ordered at one of the uh, Lamit dinners. What was the place called? And you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to be mean because they're closed. It was the Salt Cellar, I think. Yeah. That culotte I did not care for, and it actually turned me off on culotte for a long time until, honestly, until I started to see picanha uh, more frequently appear on menus. And then now you can, you can find it, but very seldom yeah. at stores. Like If you're a local, France 44 has it. Hmm. Uh, the price per pound is, I think, like $14 or $15. I now order, uh, I now order it pretty frequently online. There's a website. I think they're based out of Florida. It's called Wild Fork Foods. Sweet. So you can get some really high quality um, picanha for pretty affordable prices. It's like $7 a pound, something like that. If you live in the Twin Cities, hit up France 44 for their meat department. I'm not talking about charcuterie. I'm talking about actual meat. Mm. Uh, The quality of of that picanha is better than the stuff that I order from Wild Fork Foods. I'll say that. So if you want it now and you want one that you know is going to be great, go pick one up there for sure. And some of the kindest human beings that I've, I've ever dealt with. Uh, I've walked in there just literally saying, I kind of want to cook this dish mm-hmm. and I'll explain the dish and yeah. their butchers will straight up walk you through everything and then hand you off to the cheese department. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like that's something where I'm not afraid. Like somebody's going to get me like an auto mechanic yeah. where they're yeah. going to have me replace every belt in the plate. Like <laughs> I'm getting incredible things because there isn't a shitty thing here. Yeah. And I, I love that. Like I have two different uh, cups of, of, of animal fat. I have duck fat and I have schmaltz from France 44 just in my freezer for cooking. Yeah. I have the, again, their duck, I would put up against any duck that I've bought and I've weirdly purchased duck in three different countries for cooking. I I will put that, the, the, um, the duck breast that I got from them, I would put against anything that I have ever cooked before. You guys seem pretty well versed. You guys chefs in previous lives. Or is it just more of a passion? Technically, I have worn a sous chef jacket for two weeks. Okay. Uh, I have monetized everything that I've ever loved except cooking. Mm. And mm. I realized yeah, that's a good way of putting it. going into that that I have to have something that I can continue to have as my my home when yeah. I'm home. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, love, um, I love being able, even if I only have like an hour or two, I would rather walk in the door, throw groceries down, cook my wife dinner, eat with her, and then turn around and leave than pick something up. Yeah. I love yeah. cooking. I love the idea of providing. It's a way, it's an action, especially as, as somebody as verbose as me. It's an action that I can do that shows love that yeah. isn't just me saying flowery, nice yeah. things. Yeah. And I, even if I know that she doesn't like care that much about the meal that I'm making, I love making it for her because yep. I know that it's helping sustain her yep. and that she enjoys it. And yep. that makes me yep. really, really happy. And I feel the same way when my friends are over for dinner. Like that's, and I really didn't want to lose that because I, I've lost it on and off with music yep. from all the years in bands and DJing. Uh, I've lost it on and off with cocktails because I've bartended on and off for so long. Uh, 
I loved craft beer, and then I jumped into the craft beer yeah, world. Yeah. And it can it can suck all the enjoyment out of it. And then three of the five groomsmen in my wedding are psalms, yeah. and I went through proctoring all their psalm exams. And wine is still a little bit elusive to me because their learning went so much farther than mine did. Yeah. But I do yeah. know enough that like I'll get picky about stuff. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, hey, how about you shut the fuck up and yeah. just enjoy where yeah. you're yeah. at? Yeah. But like for me there's also an element of wanting to challenge myself. Yeah, and yeah. so my answer to this question, um, I made a, uh, completely vegan meal that I was very, very proud of. Uh, it was, uh, inspired by a chef that was on the next, I think it's called the next thing I eat. It's David Chang's newest series. Okay, yeah. And they were talking about, um, how toxic the meat market is around the world is and how bad it is for our planet that we're all consuming, you know, meats in general yep. and yep. At, at the rate that we are. And they were sort of focusing around a cheeseburger, right? Yep. yep. That's something that's become ubiquitous everywhere. Most places on the planet. And what's the answer to that? And they did a lot of, uh, a lot of expose on, on, um, like lab grown meat and where that's headed and yep. how can we get the price down beyond meat and possible meat. And then they had an Indian chef on, and she made vada pav, which are um, basically spiced potato cakes yep. mm-hmm. in a bun, eaten just like you would a burger. Mm-hmm. And then there's three different chutneys on there. And I, I don't know how... Don't, the you only mean, w- don't you mean chutneys? Chutneys. Chutneys. The you only way... I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm known to do that. I also say... Pictures instead of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm just saying, it, like British people say it, like I, aluminium. Aluminium. Yeah. How many, how many syllables did you just? Yeah. I love. I would love to be able to pronounce words with the confidence that British people mispronounce everything yeah. around the world. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I really loved the idea that she came on and was saying. I, I don't care about, is this as good as a cheeseburger? This is an incredibly delicious sandwich that can sustain people and is incredibly easy to make yeah. as far as the skills required. Yeah. So yeah. the only thing I can liken it to is like when I hear a song for the first time and I know mm-hmm. I'm going to beat the shit out of the song for the next two months and listen to it like 17 times a day. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get that. I couldn't get the idea of what she was doing out of my head. And so I started looking up recipes and I did what I normally do where I like pull from five different places and like in my head, this is what creates a great sandwich. And so what you have is um, you basically make like a mashed potato cake and that is uh, flavored with uh, curry. So it's and potatoes mustard. are cooked and mashed. Potato, like boiled potatoes as you yeah. normally would. You okay. mash them up. And then you mix them with um, curry powder and mustard and uh, onions and a few other uh, seasonings and spices. Cool. So you have that off to one side. And then the three chutneys that I made, the chutneys, Mm -hmm. uh, that I made, I made a a toasted coconut, roasted garlic, chili pepper. I made a... Like a chili crisp chutney. Correct. And then I made a... um, a cilantro, lime juice, and fresh, uh, like bird's eye Thai chili pepper. Okay. Uh, chutney. And then I made uh, a tamarind and jaggery, like sweet. Cool. So what you, what you ended up with was a really. It's almost a representative of three continents there. I mean, kind of. <laughs> and so what, well, and, and 
India represents all of those different regions mm-hmm. being where it is and being the powerhouse of all of these different cultures coming through yeah, yeah. on the spice trade and the Silk Road. And what you ended up with was a really warm, really hot, really salty uh, with that toasted coconut, roasted garlic. Then you had all of the brightness of fresh herbs and lime juice. Do these all go on the sandwich? Or all go on the sandwich. Really? Okay. So you do one on the bottom, one on the top, and one on the potato cake, and then you put it in the bun. And I did a straight up like King's Hawaiian sweet bun mm-hmm. because I thought the sweetness would balance well with the tang and the warmth of the curry sure. in the, the potato cake. And honestly, it fucking floored me. Like, we all ate, and then we all ate another one. And I will... The making the chutneys is a pain in the ass, but they'll all, with the exception of the the um, cilantro and lime juice one, they'll all keep. Mm-hmm. So the idea is make that stuff ahead of time, and then it's the same amount of time that it would take you to make mashed potatoes. Right, right. and then you just do a quick uh, roll in flour, uh, and then and then you you fry them. Wow, so I'm it's, it's got a crunch. But I'm to mostly anti double starch. It's. I will agree with you, but the distinction. I in want the- to hear Derek's opinion on double starching. Well, I'm I'm also not typically a double starcher. Okay. Sure, uh, if that's a thing. Um, <laughs> double starcher. Uh, but that's just that's just me. But again, you know, that's just my preference. I the the thing that I came back to, and I agree with you. Like, it cloys me too much starch. When I was yeah. when I was thinking about it, I was like, mm, this is a lot. But the fact that it's not gluten on gluten, I think, makes a huge difference. And the fact that the textures are so wildly different that it really does feel like you're eating through something else. And if you have a smaller bun and a bigger patty, I also think that that's part of it. The chutneys help, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Having especially that many chutneys. Chutneys. That's right, then. ASMR. (laughs) No, no one wants to do that (laughs) with this podcast, trust me. (laughs) Uh, and then with with drinks, I, I feel like I just want to throw out that uh, I've been on your oxidized sparkling stuff train. Yeah. And the funkier and weirder I can find in the wine sparkling department, yeah. the happier I am. Mm. Like I want – it's sort of like when I fell in love with sours when nobody was doing kettle sours. They were all doing weird wild ferment stuff. I feel that same way right now about that sector of wine. Yeah. And I love I, it. Yeah, I'm morbidly obsessed. This is a very expensive obsession. So I to, just I love it, man. Trying to keep Give me the, going the funkiest, crazy. weirdest. Like the thing that make everybody has a sip and they're like, Oh, that's interesting. That's what I am there for. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I'll still do it. Even the in fuck Minnesotan where that could mean that it sucks? Yep. Mostly because <laughs> if it's something that most people in the room don't like, I'm probably gonna like it. Which is how I feel about bitter liqueurs. It's how I feel about sours. The guy who just tried selling me a mashed potato sandwich. Damn so I right. I know how to feel now. Listen, man. I'll tell you, man. Avada Pavel, fuck your world up. I'll, I will definitely try it. It's something I can say I've never had. So I'm A billion people can't be wrong. So th- this is... This is <laughs> Look at the state of the world. <laughs> yeah, right. Interesting side comment. So we're all from the Midwest, right? Truth. Yes. Um, do you find that being from the Midwest that... The lanes are very narrow in terms of like how culinary adventurous you are. Like I, when I grew up, like my parents, it was very like simple. I didn't get into trying different restaurants and really expanding these horizons until I moved to Los Angeles and 
experience that world. Did Your you guys find that same experience? Osseo? Yeah, my yeah, my mom grew so, up in uh like the Brooklyn Park, okay. Brooklyn Center area. My so, father grew up in Illinois. Okay, so yeah. Midwest, Minnesota yep. and Illinois. Yep. Yeah. Right. Is that wait? Did we already do this? Did we go to high school together? <laughs> we we went. To, I I don't, I don't think it was at the same time. Uh, two thousand for myself. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so I we was probably 97. crossed paths yeah, at some yeah. point, but yeah, that was like a hundred years ago. So <laughs> uh, so the the question, Derek, was: Do you feel that being from the Midwest mm-hmm. uh, tends to uh, keep you very narrow in your lanes in terms of your adventurousness in the culinary world? Depends like, on the individual. Different. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, my my adventurous nature when it came to uh all things culinary came it was derived from my mom's inability to cook anything outside of Lebanese food very effectively. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mom. But I have to apologize every time. She knows how I feel. Yeah. But Lebanese food, ace. But when we were kids, like she's from Lebanon, you know? She didn't know yeah. how long to cook the noodles for spaghetti or how much sauce to put on. She didn't mm-hmm. know that putting a ball tip stick into the oven on a sheet pan and baking it for an hour at 300 degrees wasn't a steak. So I, I became adventurous because I wanted to learn how to prepare foods. So I started cooking at a very, very young age, making things like fried rice, scrambled eggs. Uh, And then it just blossomed from there. So Mm -hmm. I don't think you're necessarily limited by your environment. That's evidence to the contrary. In fact, that as instead of being limited by in my environment, I, just decided to supersede it. I decided I needed mm-hmm. to know more mm-hmm. or, or learn more. But for a lot of people, in, in having the intimate knowledge that we all do of the Midwest, for a lot of people born and raised in a place like the Midwest, if you're a meat and potatoes person, sometimes you're always going to be a meat and potatoes person. Right. But that has as much to do with your personal journey as it does where you uh, reside. That's Yeah, that's where I was going to get to. Like I, I've had trouble rectifying my, my past in that I, I grew up, I was an, an only child, mm-hmm. uh, split household, grew up with my mom. Uh, my dad would burn macaroni and cheese. Uh, dad, I know you listen sometimes. You did great at boiled hot dogs sometimes, and, <laughs> uh, and frozen pizzas were all right. But other than that, it was, it was pretty rough. And my mom just made the best she could with what we had. Yep. But I had, in, in all facets, I had trouble... Um, understanding what was possible outside of my own boundaries. Like there were so many things that I didn't get until high school or college or post-college where most people like, oh, well, nobody was doing the thing that I wanted, so I went and figured out how to do it. I was like, oh, I guess we just can't do that. And I would go to people's houses and I would try food, but I also don't remember anyone really making anything from scratch. Right. Like, yeah. I don't remember any of the kids whose houses I went to for sleepovers. Everything was out of a jar, everything was in a microwave, everything was, you know, uh, pre made trade. Yeah. Something yeah. to be said for the fact that it wasn't as accessible to learn how to make anything from scratch for sure. in those days, unless someone taught it to you. That's why yeah. there was a lot of like cultural foods that would be made completely from scratch. Otherwise you'd have to like go to the library and mm-hmm. dig through books to figure out how to make like the soup that goes into your uh, green bean casserole. Yeah. If you were going to make this, the cream of mushroom soup itself, you'd need a recipe book just for the cream of mushroom soup. Whereas it's a lot easier to get a can of Campbell's Mm -hmm. on the store shelf. Well, and look at, if you look at like the most popular cookbooks at the time, like the Betty Crocker cookbook, 100% Mm -hmm. advocated going out and buying brand name things and pouring it in. So I'm 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 definitely not putting that on my mother or my grandmother, but I didn't. I truly didn't realize that you could like make anything from scratch 
until I was in college mm-hmm. and I had a roommate whose mother was a chef. Yeah. And we cooked dinner for our girlfriends at the same time and I let him lead because I had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Yeah. And now, like, looking back on that, it was like like everything else in my world. It was once I started pulling that thread and I realized, oh, there's this is all just some fucking Mr. Oz behind the, the giant curtain. Like, huh. you can make everything if you right. just take the time to learn it. There's there's nothing in the pantheon of food that I have made. There is nothing that I would tell somebody, oh, you can't possibly make this. Right. It's just, do you want to take the time and do you want to fuck it up a few times and figure out what you did? Right. And as long as you're ready to roll the dice and, and figure it out as you go, then I think anything should be at your fingertips. And that was really when I had that a whole new world aha moment was then it was it went it coincided with the internet really starting to to tumble along and i found a website which still exists and is still wildly used uh, epicurious mm-hmm. epicurious was the first website that i found that let you sign up for an account for free and you could save any recipe that you found on their website. That was my go-to for and a long make that. time as well. Yep. Uh, Epicurus is owned by Bon Appetit. Correct. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it was not. At the time, it was an original website. And I can't recall when it got acquired. I just know at but, some point, but yeah, I, it, I, it occurred to me that it was owned by Bon Appetit. Now it's been sort of overrun by like bad home cook recipes. Correct. But for a long time, it was one of the. That was one of the spots to go to find new recipes. And if you look at, if you look at like on, so I have, I have a recipe book on my phone right now that has somewhere around 11 or 1200 recipes in it. And if you search it from most recent to, to most distant, my first six or seven recipes are all from there. And it's, it's like a coaching tree. Like you can see which flavors I was trying to get to in those recipes and then where it blossomed from there. And there's definitely still some branches that came in later that had nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> but you can see, I love making a couple of those recipes still to this day because you can see where my run at cooking as a human being by himself in a kitchen, you can see where my love started yeah. and where it goes from there. And now when I go back and make some of those recipes, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. But I love still having that that touchstone of me at 21 or 22 years old trying to figure out how to make good food at home so I don't always have to go out and buy it at a restaurant when I didn't have the money to do that. Yeah. So, Derek, do you feel like you had uh, limitations for your palate or preparation or anything, like even your interest in, in various types of foods because of being yeah, I, uh, I feel like in the I, Midwest? I feel like I grew up on, like, the prepackaged foods. And, yeah. You know, and, and so I feel like my palate really didn't start to to evolve until I was in my mid twenties, early thirties. Like it's continued to, to evolve. Um, and if I look at the, even the restaurants that you had access to go out to, I grew up in Maple Grove, no offense to Maple Grove, but you know, it's, it's like your chains, right? That's that, that was your options back back then. Right now, the, the, very recently, in fact, yeah, the twin cities now has great, some great restaurants, you know, no Michelin star restaurants yet, but, um, some really great here. restaurants. They don't here. come here. I know. I know. That's a whole other podcast, I think. Um, but it's, you know, now, especially with like technology and stuff, it is nice that you can just look something up on YouTube if you don't know how to prepare something. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, everything's that, at your fingertips. Exactly. Exactly. You can use, you can use these powers for good. Yeah. Not just for evil. Yeah. Yeah. 
So to answer your question, I don't necessarily feel like I was limit. Like you know, you're kind of influenced by what what's around you. Sure. Um, but at least those are yeah, those were early limitations yeah. for you. But then, so when you, how old were you when you moved to Cali? I was 29. Okay, so when you moved to Cali, do you feel like you had a pretty limited palette? I, and, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And then via moving there, do you feel like you expanded your horizons a whole 100%, lot? One hundred percent for yeah. sure. Okay. What? Yeah. Do you remember anything that that? Yeah. Like was there? Was there? Was there? What, what do we call it? A god cup with CJ? Was yeah. there? Was there a god dish that just like opened up your world? Wait, it wasn't like one particular dish. Um, there was this restaurant. Uh, it was particularly around like sushi. Like I didn't have a mm-hmm. lot of sushi growing up. So out there, there's a restaurant called Koi. I don't know if it's still there or not, but sure. I mean, it was all of this different uh, sushi in ways that I've ne- I'd never even like. You mean there's something beyond the California roll? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, sure. it was like all these different preparations, and and it, I mean that was just like eye opening, and you know, just having the willingness to try it, I think was um, was the first step. But I mean, even mush- I didn't even like mushrooms growing up, and now I've like, sure. tried it over and over again, and gr- it grew on me, and now I'm into that. Paging Marnie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like mushrooms. No, and I've been trying for years to just get her that that god mushroom. Yep, that god, she's had mushrooms a couple times that she's really enjoyed. Yeah, but nothing's turned the corner yeah. for yeah. her. There's one time I prepared them that she really enjoyed them, and then one time that young Joni in Northeast Minneapolis prepared some that were wood fire that she really enjoyed. And I both times I thought the corner was being turned, and both times I was sadly mistaken. <laughs> Turn the corner into a dead end. <laughs> she's, she's probably kind of right where I'm at where like I, I'll eat it. If somebody's ordering it, I'll try it. I still want to continually try it, but I won't go out of my way if I see it on a menu and say like, I'm going to order that. You know, I, I feel like there's a, there's a little, a bit of, of pushing for me. I like to push myself and try things that I wouldn't normally try. But the other part of it is trying to ask myself like, what is it that I like or don't like about something? Yep. And, yep. I found myself when it comes to like, I mean, my mother, should she listen to this episode, would giggle at the amount of onions and mushrooms that I go through in my house now <laughs> versus like when I was a kid, yep. I would go through like at a restaurant if there were mushroom, if I saw a mushroom or an onion in the spaghetti sauce, I would spend five minutes picking every visible one out of the sauce to the side of the plate. And then I would eat the food. I know you struggle. You know, like that yeah. was, that was yeah. a real thing. Yeah. And the only reason that I got around it was thinking about what do I like or not like about this? Mm-hmm. And if I'm okay with the flavor and the sauce, then what is it that I don't like? And we've talked about this. There it is. Mm-hmm. Thanks Charles. Uh, we've talked about this, that uh, there's texture issues too. Uh, I understand that like there are, there are times who's we, you and I, Charles, you and I have talked about this. <laughs> Uh, but my wife and I have also talked about this. Like there are times where the texture, it's just, it's tough even for me. Like cuttlefish is one that I love sushi. Mm -hmm. I love everything about that. But cuttlefish is, is it's tough sometimes. I've never had it. I've never tried it. It's, um, it's a very chewy bite. Okay. Okay. And you got to cuddle it in your mouth. Yeah, you got to. You really got to. Prepared. Yeah. And <laughs> correct. I mean, and that's again. We're in Minnesota, and uh, a lot of the sushi restaurants. We have a couple of fantastic ones, mm-hmm. but especially ten, fifteen years ago, we did not have. Uh, there just wasn't the amount of knowledge in this town to really be able to to make some brilliant cuts. Right. And 
two of my three worst sushi experiences involved cuttlefish. Hmm. And I, I, every now and then, I will do it just to make sure that I'm still continuing to push myself. But I have yet, in Minneapolis or St. Paul, I have yet to find anybody that can make that not just taste like seafood gum. Yeah, yeah. I've cl- you know clams is another one I've tried that maybe three or four times. Sure, still growing. I'm not texture thing or yeah, I think it's a texture yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm like oddly bites, afraid of getting uh, like a like a like a bad clam for some reason. I don't know why. That's okay, my fear. Hey, you know, you know, you get a bad oyster or a bad mm-hmm. clam, your mouth will open instantly. Yeah, because I have had a bad oyster in my mouth. Yeah, it, it's so yeah. bad that it almost would make you not want to eat them ever again correct when you get like an actual bad one and you also are instantly mortified that it's going to get you sick but i'll tell you that i've never actually i've never become sick from having had one of those horrific mouthfuls of of uh like a shitty dead raw oyster i feel like you you have an iron stomach though i feel like you've got a pretty good i do but i'm not beyond reproach i've had we the other day uh qualm myself and my wife went out to dinner and went to a show and I told the story of when we were in um in wine country mm-hmm. my my wife and I we went to French Laundry and I'm very fortunate that after god I feel like such an ass this is probably like the 30th time I brought up French Laundry <laughs> but I'm fortunate that I enjoyed that meal and had a great evening cuz in the middle of the night in our hotel in Yountville I woke up at about 3:30 a.m. and something was wrong it's definitely not from French Laundry. I think I know where it's from. We don't need to get into that. But I woke up and I was I was all wrong. Like yeah. my stomach was really fucked up. So I definitely had food poisoning or norovirus. Marnie practically had to carry me to our rental. And then when we were in Heldsburg, I basically had an entire day where I was in the fetal position just watching pro wrestling on my phone while she walked around town because I didn't want That's her to the worst. just sit there and watch me suffer or hear the echoing bathroom. But uh, so there... The, <laughs> Everyone will fall victim to something mm-hmm. that powerful, but just eating. I think when I eat different, like monocultures, bacteria, and stuff from different locales, I usually do really well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do. I would say I have that. an iron gut, but I'd say even people who have an iron gut, I wouldn't tempt fate because yeah. I think a lot of people think they have an iron gut, and so they're like, I don't care. Yeah. That chicken's been sitting out for three days. Yeah. I have an iron gut. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, time to go to the ER. The ER. Yeah, exactly. I, think, I think my version of that would be, I, I'm the same way. Like, I, I have tried, I will try anything at this point. I went so far from my conservative roots to where I am now, where, like, I'm game for, like, whatever weird shit is yeah. out there, yeah. which is a part of my personality that I'm not always the the most proud of. And uh, I I did that with uh, a friend of mine came back from Vietnam with a bottle of fucking hooch that had a scorpion and a cobra inside of it. And everybody kept passing it around, daring everybody to take a shot. And money got introduced. And I was like, I'm just fucking... T-. I was working. And I'm like, I'm just fucking tired of listening to this. I'll take the fucking shot if you guys will just shut up. Ripped a shot of it. And I had heart arrhythmia for three straight days. Did you eat the scorpion? I did not, but there was definitely enough of something in yeah. there that my body was very mad at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, had I not been uh, in the middle of my eight and a half years without health insurance, I probably would have taken myself to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was not, that's where I learned, something, hey, something wasn't right. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, this is not something that a human being yeah. who has any self respect should ingest. Yeah. And the fact that you are somehow 
get, like happy about the praise that you got from these idiots for yeah. watching you do that. Yeah. Like maybe let's pump the brakes a little bit. So we did drink that one dollar rum with uh, Tyson from Scalvin that <laughs> true. his father-in-law literally told him is poison. Yep. And he's like, I already went through one of these and I didn't die. We yep. were like, yeah, let's do a Sounds shot. Good. Like, let's do another one. Everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Listen, again, I, like, I, am, I am forever adjacent to that human being and it does not take much of any of the stuff that's on our table right now to get me there. Mm-hmm. It's just something that as, as long as I'm like sober and conscious that I'm, I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> Struggle is real. Struggle is yeah. fucking real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, dare we? Cheers, we dare. Cheers. Derek, what are we sipping on now? The Ardbeg. Mm-hmm. Much smoke That's yeah. It's got more of a PD. I think it's oh, yeah. an Islay. It is. If it I is. am, uh, if I know, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's got that PD smoky. This the finish. ten year. Uh, is yep. it the t- yeah. Ten year. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Great with the not like, for not for everyone. No, but it is if, for me. If you like, I like the peaty. I like the smokiness. Uh, this one's great with a cigar. Too. That's I. I just started fantas- fantasizing about the cigar that I have yeah. in the pocket of my coat right now. Yeah. That yeah. that's there. There's also something, and I know that of course it's the smoke peat, but there is something campfirey about this that it makes me feel like I'm sitting outside yeah. around a campfire. Yeah, and I'm in the best way possible. Like this is this is when when people talk about um, that this is the the potion for the storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm imagining right now is us sitting around a campfire. Like, oh shit, did I ever tell you guys about the time that blah blah blah? <laughs> and then it just starts there. I could be wrong, but that smell of like campfire, that peaty, that smokiness. Not for everyone, but I imagine for most people, brings up nothing but good memories. Yeah, yeah I would hope so. Yeah. I, there's, this is like drinking a campfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. I know people say that about a lot of scotch, but this is one of the smokiest, peatiest scotches you will find. Yeah. So if you enjoy that quality, uh, look for the Ardbeg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles, I believe this is you? I believe you are correct. Derek. Name something that's been done the same way for a long time that you disagree with. Is this about if this could be anything? This could be this anything. Could be some, some, I know you like to honor the classics and and you know the Ooh. tenets of being a gentleman and things of that nature. But there's got to be something that is done Ooh, this is that has been done one. the same way for many years that you're like, you know what? I don't get it. It probably doesn't need to be done that way anymore. I mean, I feel like there's so many, and uh, they're all like escaping me right now. So let me think for a moment. Can I, can, I, can I jump in on this? Yes. Yeah. Of course. So I, I've, I've. <laughs> excuse me. I just had a burp there. I um. Oh. I have some love for pop songs, probably more than somebody who's as insane about music as I am, and who claims to be as much of a, a, a discerning listener mm-hmm. as I am. Mm-hmm. I love like a really good pop hook. There's nothing that makes me happier than that. But I do not, I've gotten to a point where like I can predictably hear the start of a song and I know where the chorus is going to go. I know where the bridge is going to go. I know what the refrain is going to be melody wise. I don't maybe know lyrically and I don't understand why we have such an incredibly diverse, uh, group of humans around the world who are making music and we're sort of still adhering 
to the same pop formula. That formula, yeah. Right. That, like yeah. the Beatles, and it, don't get me wrong. If you're trying to put a song in the radio, I get it, man. That's like McDonald's coming out with a new food item. It's going to be the easiest to palate for the masses. Mm-hmm. But I'll watch these incredible, like, 19-year-olds that are growing up just in their house with a synthesizer and they're working on their own shit and they'll still do the same formula. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I don't understand why we're why we're doing that. And not that like I need everybody to go like Sigur Ross or modern Radiohead and really go as like weird and out there. You can still use normal scales and you mm-hmm. can still use a, a, a understandable language, but I, I just feel like we're we're still so like everybody's trying to be independent and everybody's trying to like put on their own t-shirt and this is who I am, but then we're all still standing in the same field. Yeah, right. And I don't everything else we've found ways to shed ourselves of whatever the generation before us did. And again, I'm not saying that we need to walk away from all of that because the roots of like 30s, 40s, and 50s jazz, how that's expressing itself right now is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the way that the way that all of those genres of music came together and gave us hip hop, I love like even though I don't understand like mumble rap and that I just I don't get why it's why people love it, but I'm happy that they're doing something very very different. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing in rock and roll, it. it it's just not there. What I'm seeing in pop, it's just not there. We're just doing the same thing. And I want somebody to come and just shake everyone and be like, this is what the fuck we're doing. You know? And part of it has been fueled by watching the get back documentary about the Beatles. I, I am forever going to be one of those people that if you look at the time period that the Beatles were active and you look at how much they changed music in that time, that is to me absolutely staggering from basically being like a Chuck Berry cover band to where they ended up as they broke up during that documentary. Mm-hmm. It's staggering, but they were still kind of following a lot of the same formulas yep. Yep. while they were doing it with different instruments and different scales and all of that. We got there and then there's all these different reaches into heavy metal and everything else. And I think some of the smaller subgenres figured it out, but mainstream music still seems so beholden to that formula. Mm-hmm. And it, on one hand, there is a comforting aspect of it where like, I'll get excited in the second verse. If I really like a song, I'm like, Oh, I want to see where they're going to go with the bridge. Right, right. But it's because I know the bridge is coming and like, I can literally probably snap it out and be like, and bridge. And that's, I don't like that. That's just, a part of the thing. Yep, yep. I wish that I had to guess what was going to go on. And that's probably one of the mm-hmm. reasons why before I really got into tool that I loved tool was because I, I couldn't predict what the fuck they were going to mm-hmm. do. I had no idea what the next measure was going to be. Yeah, that'd be a unique sound for sure. And I wish there was more of that. And it doesn't have to be as avant garde as that. You don't have to switch time signatures six times in a song to, to be cool. Yeah. Or I have the yeah. greatest drummer of all time. Yeah, exactly. Playing tabla and shit. But, like, something... All right, I'm just going to throw this out there as an example. I've always loved the song Surrender by Cheap Trick. Okay, yep. It's a beautiful, mainstream, amazing pop rock hit. But they change, they change keys three times in that song. And the fact that that's a reason why a lot of uh, bands will point to that as a song that's inspiration, mm-hmm. 
because that's one of the few examples of somebody doing that where the intro is in a different key than the verses and then they change the key again for the third verse in the final chorus. Mm. Why is that weird? That that song was like multi, multi, multi platinum. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody was like, oh, well, that's okay. They did that once. Let's not do that again. And like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, yeah, that's sometimes point. it's hard for musicians to find like a purposeful change. Sure. A great example is someone like Ingwie Malstein. Like, we get it, dude. We get it. <laughs> no one cares for your music. You we, could play a guitar really it. fast and really well. You're virtuoso, but you're not exactly... Approachable? Uh, yeah. You're not Mozart over here. Uh, <laughs> when there was... There used to be this uh, uh, instrument shop called Mars. Fuck yeah, Mars I remember music. one time, Brandon and myself were like fooling around and playing instruments and hitting the gong and stuff. Brandon was trying out this bass guitar. He had his amp up at a reasonable level and was just trying it out. And this guy was just like ripping on the guitar, full blast, about 10 feet away from us. And uh, I don't remember exactly how Brandon put it, but he turned around and he was like, jeez, uh, calm down, Yingui Malmsteen. <laughs> <laughs> or, he's like, or, or he said, I think he said, like, jeez, calm down, Yingui. Yeah. <laughs> started cracking up. But uh, they, yeah, that's a great example of you know doing it just to do it. Yeah. Obviously, that's not purposeful. But I, no, I agree with you. And I think it's one of the reasons why I still love a lot of metal bands that are emerging yeah. modern day, but there's a lot of retreading, a lot of people doing the same things that have been done for a long time. So I, I'm also looking for that. But in, in almost anything, if you look at food, Bev, music, art, film, video games, people are too afraid organizations in particular are too afraid to go away from what they already know makes money. Mm -hmm. And you see it happen. We're in a market here where we're kind of in a midsize market. We're like a, a little big town or a big little town. I often encounter clients that I even work with on the marketing side where I'll make a recommendation, like let's do something that's been done on the coasts. It's been done in Chicago. It's been done in other countries, other marketplaces. So there's proven viability because we always, they lead, we follow. But it's something that ordinarily would take us five years, but I'm telling you we can do it today. And there's always like that trepidation that we can't. It's not time yet. Well, when's it time? If it's time when someone else does it in this market, then you're been. already too late. But it's interesting how even with my track record of having brought – brought, I've brought a lot of things to this market. I'm not going to get into it now because I'm not trying to self-brag. <laughs> but I've brought a lot of things to this marketplace that were not present prior. And – my fails are the sheet is blank. I, I don't miss. If I say you should do this because it worked in San Diego, you should do this because it worked in Chicago and a client agrees to do it, it works 10 out of 10 times. But even then, when you can show the resume, the track record, there's always people can be trepidatious because they're just like, there's that fear of, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I can swim. I, I I could swim when I was a kid. I don't know if I can swim. Am I just going to flap my arms around if you push me in here or what? I may as I'd rather do what I know is already effective for me. And it, it, it's that way. I think across the board with many of those forms of art is because if we're accessing them, they're at least it, not all, not in every case because mm -hmm. obviously you dive deep and I used yep. to dive really deep. But a lot of times when you access something, it's because it's accessible. It's it's available to you, and that's because it is known. So if it's known, it means it was recommended to you or mm -hmm. you're able to access it on a popular website or something of that nature. So those people are 
making money. So they got through, they were able to push through, Mm -hmm. but you often have difficulty finding the things that failed that were great. It's so hard to find stuff that was great, but it failed. Like, you know, there's a, there is a football game on in the background. How many great football players didn't make it to the pro level because they tore an ACL Mm -hmm. when they were in high school? You know, maybe some of the greatest players of all time never even grabbed a football in their hands. And that's kind of a similar dynamic where you, you just, you don't know what you don't know. You just pointed something out. I do want to add as an, an addendum to what Mm -hmm. I said though. When you, when you do that formula really well, I still love it. I'm not shitting on how it all works. I will go to the fucking mats to defend probably the worst album that the killers have put out has a song called, it's called uh, Battleborn, And there's a song in there called runaways. I will go mm-hmm. to the ends of the earth to defend that. That might be the greatest bridge in rock and roll history. I fucking love that bridge. So when it's done well, I appreciate it, but I look at, I look at the disparate amount of people and the, the places that are making music now isn't just a couple neighborhoods in America. The places that are making like rock and roll is everywhere. It's literally all around the world. You can find amazing rock bands in Johannesburg, South Africa, in Cairo, mm-hmm. in India, in Singapore. Like You can find people everywhere. And for some reason, that fucking formula is still working. Like with when when um, all the boy bands started coming out of South Korea, I really like the K-pop stuff. I really wanted mm-hmm. them to just reinvent what the formula was, yeah. and it's still based around a Western pop music what, formula. Yeah, what made money? Yeah, and I'm just the like higher higher reaches. Like, how can we be as popular as possible and make the most money correct. possible? Correct, and you, I I get it. But I feel like mm-hmm. somebody has to just lead a charge and be like, we're going to do something a little different. Do you think now with like the uh, with technology, right, and the way that like before, like when you were making music, there was only like a few different channels you could get your music out and distributed, mm-hmm. right? But now you've got all these different platforms. You can just put your music out on YouTube or you know whatever it may be. Now that there's all these channels, you can kind of self uh, publish, if you will. Um, do you think that it leaves more of the opportunity to actually make a change? Well, and that's the no, thing. Backfired. Is, yeah, that's what I really hoped Harder was going to gonna happen. Money. Yeah, correct. So you have to do what works. Yep. Because it's so hard to make money. It's I, even harder to make money. So I thought backfired. You would think it would have. I thought we were yeah. on a, a global yeah. version of the punk revolution. Yeah. Yeah. If there are better ways for artists <laughs> to make money, yeah. then it abs- I think that would have that type of creativity would have taken hold. So, real quick to everybody out there, please financially support the artists that you love right mm-hmm. now. Stop mm-hmm. fucking or keep streaming shit, but find a way to support them on Patreon. Yeah. Buy their merch. Yeah. Buy their albums. That's the only way that we're going to do anything. Yeah. And that's the end of my PSA. Sorry about that. Anyway, see when uh, they come to town. Did Derek, occur to you, Derek? Given yeah. my uh, given my screed on music, <laughs> is there anything that, that jumps out to you? You know, uh, it's funny because it's uh, well. There's a couple things, but the, the biggest thing that can, keeps coming back to my mind mm-hmm. it doesn't have anything to do with the artist world and music or anything like that. It's it's as simple as like the healthcare system. Oh God, you yeah. know what I mean? Like why? Yeah. Right. Can't we all like? There should be nobody that's like afraid to go to the doctor because it's gonna be like I can't afford that. You know, I feel like yeah, that's, like scorpion juice over here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like it's it just it boggles my mind at this day and age that that there's people that don't have coverage for something, and so that's that's one thing I feel I could be. Or even when you revamped. do, and you have to weigh the costs. Oh, or like because you, that's the way like, our system like works. a copay, or like you know what I mean, like you're paying insurance premiums and then you go to the doctor and you're still paying money. It's like, well, what's the insurance for then? You know what I mean? So it's right. Uh, I think that system could be uh, refined, but that's you know like 
hurting cats. Uh, it's insurance for the insurance. Exactly. I will. I, I, I will jump in and say the the thing that sticks with me that really bothers me the most. I like I I pretend that I'm a pretty intelligent human being and that I'm pretty rational, but um, the almost nine years that I didn't have health insurance changed the way that I feel about doctors mm-hmm. to a point where like. I have trouble convincing myself that I need to go to the doctor, even though I have the ability to now. Mm-hmm. But there was such a stigma that was it was built up for so long that I have trouble allowing myself to go. Yeah, I will wait until I'm in excruciating pain for no fucking reason. Yeah, I under like the conscious part of my brain understands how stupid that is because whatever is going on inside of you, if it's gotten to that point, you've allowed it to get worse. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I have built it up from the time I was 21 until the time I was 30, 31, basically, that I can't get help if I need help unless it's an emergency. Right. And I'm still unpacking that. I'm 42 years old, and I'm still unpacking that almost 12 years later. And I know that at some point I will have something serious that will happen to me that might have been better if I could have figured it out a few days earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because... I've taught myself not to. It's like it's it, it, it's like an offshoot of toxic masculinity. It's well, a good thing you're vocalizing. No, you're being a consummate male. I that's, that's yeah, I used to be too. I mean, that's yeah. why my neck's all fucked up. We yep. won't get into that either. We all we all just assume <laughs> it, it'll fix itself. It'll get better at some point. You know, right? Or what are they going to tell me? What are they yeah. going to tell me? They're going to yeah. say get some rest. Or it's, yeah, I mean, like, it's well, not well, that. I would have been resting <laughs> if I didn't come here. Today. Exactly. It's not that bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can I can deal with it. No, no, I yeah. I agree with you, man. Yeah, the other the other part of that dynamic is that we all realize at some point in our lives that uh, doctors are just people, also. Yep, so they're not yeah. they're not infallible, and they're not magic. <laughs> You're right, and, and, and almost <laughs> unless like it's a magic doctor. The almost inverse to that question in terms of like uh, like manners in society. Like I feel like for a long time manners used to be a thing, and then for a long time now, in the most recent future, manners have kind of gone away. Like drive somewhere. You know what I mean? Like the way people cut you off in traffic and everyone's kind of on edge and mad at you. I wish we could get <laughs> yeah. back to a point where like people were a little more courteous in daily life, holding a door. You know, there's just the like general like uh, pleasantries of, of, you know, daily life. I feel like that's kind of gone away too. Sure. You know? Yeah. I, I held a door at a bakery in New York for like a party of six and they all just sauntered by one at a time and not, I, I don't. I'm not like self-important. I didn't need. Actually, it was impressive to me that no one said anything to me. Six people just walked in. I'm, I'm, okay, yeah, we're good. Oh, all right. Not a word. Like all six people went. I was like, wow, yeah. six people, and not a single person even nodded. Like, even I, the last person, eye contact. Like, like, yeah, hey, guys, I don't work here. Actually, yeah. I'm just trying to be nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, I want to throw this out to to you, Derek, and to everybody else out there listening. Uh, Charles, I think you and I have talked about this before, but. Um, I have a really like amazing cousin named John who uh, I consider my twin brother, even though he's my cousin. And uh, John has a doctorate in uh, elementary education. Your twin cousin. My twin cousin. <laughs> and him and I, we definitely we spend our days wildly different, but we kind of tend to see the world in the same place. And every time he's come to visit, we uh, everywhere we go, we ask for people's names if they're not wearing a name tag. And then we refer to them by name and we make sure that we thank them by name. Mm-hmm. And it has become like a weirdly like kind of like life changing thing to do. And I've just started to do it everywhere I can. Like if you're at the grocery store and you're just getting checked out, like yeah. thank Jamie 
yep. specifically, yep. not just like thanks, like, hey, Jamie, thanks a lot. Like, it's weird watching how much that shifts people. Like, wait, what? How did yeah. you know? Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. Right. It's little things like that that just put a little bit more humanity back into a world that exists on like trampling over humanity. And if we can all be little advocates for that humanity in each other, I feel like it's maybe a nicer world to live in, even if it's just a shade nicer. I would agree. I would agree. I really dig that. Uh, I mean, Charles, what's... I'm going to say wedding traditions. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, when... So Marty and I have been married about two two and a half years, yeah. almost two and a half years now. But when we were planning our wedding, and I did a lot of the planning, just we were crossing a lot of roads where I was like, "Why do why do people still do this?" Because that's the way it's always been done. That's yeah. not a good answer to me yeah. for anything. Yeah. That's not a good answer to me for anything. So we disregarded a lot of the traditions that, um, quite frankly, I don't think people consider mm. why they're doing like. Everyone's got to wear the same outfit except you, and then your outfit has to look an exact way. Uh, I don't. I, I really don't understand a lot of those notions, or like specifically how gift giving works and the things that you're supposed to request and and uh, having a cake and then smash it in each other's face and then never toss, throwing the banquet, yeah. the no. uh, throwing the the bouquet. And I'm I, I'm not denigrating anybody because I love. I mean, I love going to every type of wedding. I'm. If if listeners don't know this about me, I love weddings. Man. Yeah, I love them uh, because I love parties and I love being around people in a good mood who are joyful and celebrating something. And that's precisely what a wedding is. That's those are like the biggest parties you can go to, oftentimes, where everyone is there for a singular purpose and may not necessarily know one another, but are all there for one singular mission. And that's one of the reasons I think that I just love going to weddings. Hyper traditional weddings are still lots of fun. Mm-hmm. They're they're no less fun than a wedding like uh, Marnie's and mine, where we did things differently on many levels. It's just a different way of doing things. I could do without a Catholic mass for a wedding. Good, like, I don't, yeah, no, I don't. Well, yeah, I don't that, that parts that yeah, that part is not the part <laughs> where I'm yeah. having fun unless I brought right, my flask. Right. Uh, yeah, there, there's just so many. There are so many things, notions. Uh, the the bride's family paying for everything. Where the fuck did that come from? The traditions of the from dowry. A dowry. <laughs> yep, the traditions of the dowry. Uh, even insofar as like the the engagement ring and and the composition of the material, using a diamond, things like that. You know, we didn't do a diamond. A lot of people do it. Mm-hmm. I have friends who do it. I think I have friends who are afraid to tell me that they did because they. Mm-hmm have heard me say that like I, I don't care for diamonds and neither does Marnie, that they're like, oh, no, he's going to judge me. No, I don't care. You want a diamond, get a diamond. Basically what I'm saying is yep. you should have a right of first refusal. You should be able to do things the, the way that you want to want to do them. I'm going to admit something on the air that I don't think people, probably most people didn't even notice this, and actually Marnie probably is going to have red cheeks when I say this. <laughs> we, did, we, we intended to, and we never did it, and it's let me just say it's my fucking fault. It's my fucking fault. We didn't send thank you cards because I don't get it. That's I don't dumb. understand. You grab a bunch of cards and you like very quickly like, no write thought. like, no thank you. No, like, you are nice. I love yeah. you. The pot no. was great. You know, even though we didn't, we didn't really do what? gifts. Who the fuck brings a thoughtful gift and is like, I better get a fucking thank you. Yeah. Shut. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't agree with you I appreciate the thank yous that I receive uh, because that's what the couple wanted. I'd to prefer do. a phone call or a text. 
Or like when I see you, yeah. you know, yeah. like if I see you, you came to my wedding and then I tell you about our trip to Spain and that, you know, we had a honey fund, which also used to not be cool. And now mm-hmm. progressively is becoming cooler. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We you know, I thing. don't need, I don't need mm-hmm. stuff. I'm a successful, uh, at the time, late thirties, uh, man, my wife does oh, well that's for herself. so cute. Yeah. You have to say you're in yeah. my age category <laughs> right now. Uh-huh. Well, it's like if you want to buy something, you buy something. Oh man, I'm 40. Yeah, uh, yeah right. I, we didn't. We didn't need things. No, we yeah. didn't need things. So we weren't going to force the square peg circle hole. And also, we we didn't necessarily need money either. But it was, hey, we're going to go on this lavish vacation. Mm-hmm. If you want to contribute, mm-hmm. then you will have been a part of uh, partaking in and our our joy in, mm-hmm. in this adventure that we're going on. My wife and, and so, I did the same thing. And dear Megan Hurley, when you listen to this. We do still owe you a camel ride because we could not find a fucking camel ride. But I will find one. Oh, because it was at the time where you would specify what it was she, for. Yep, she right. specified what she wanted it for, and we tried sure. so fucking hard, and we could uh, not find one. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, we didn't do that. We did the we just did the central fund, yep. and it went through. Guess where it went, Quam? Michelin stars. Yeah. <laughs> Michelin stars. That's what you guys, you guys filled. I got lined, so many tires. Yeah, you lined yeah. My, my breast with all the stars, okay? I have so many stars. On, Titty stars. So those people who I saw post-wedding, now of whom I've seen literally every one since the time of my wedding, we have discussed the adventure that we went on in the wedding. And I love said, it. thank you for coming. And, you know, I love everything about that. Yeah. So we had the plans. The envelopes are still in my office. We just, it, it just mm. somehow never, cause then, so firstly we were super late and then it was pandemic time. Yeah. And then it was like, but, does anyone really want a photo of us being happy, married, especially friends of ours yeah. who couldn't have their ceremony. So I think oh, it was yeah. the right decision to say, you know what? It's just, right. it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to do. Uh, and we didn't. We didn't do it. But again, I'm saying it's my fault, mm-hmm. not Marnie's fault. If it, Marnie had it her way, we would have sent them. We didn't send them. If you're a friend of mine who came to the wedding and you didn't receive a thank you card and you're upset about it, eat a dick. I'm telling you, yeah. let me know because hey, I'll make you like a custom graphic. Yeah. I'll make you look like a super saiyan or something, like shooting a fireball at me at as me. penance. I like it. I like <laughs> and I will print it and put it in an envelope and I will hand write a letter on the back about how you're, you're uh, stronger than me, more handsome than me, funnier than me. Okay. I, I just want to double down when you were talking about wedding traditions. Yeah. How fucking weird the garter toss is. I, I do not... I The last wedding that I DJed, I specifically asked the bride and groom, and they were like, should we do it? I was like, don't. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. Like, just just think about that one. Uh-huh. Like, you're going to pull a piece of quote unquote lingerie off of your newly, like your newly married wife's thigh, yeah. and you're going to throw it out to your boys <laughs> to see who's going to like so snag odd. it. Like, I don't. I just that's the one that's always felt so fucking yeah, weird to me. It is. I think the first one I saw when I was a little kid, the guy who caught it smelled it. Yeah, like, like what are you doing? Uh, that's, uh, that's so strange. I didn't know what I was witnessing. I was like, yeah. and then you I got supposed older, to be like, oh, here? Is it past my it? bedtime? Yeah. I did a I did a wedding. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say where, but it was in the we'll just say the northern suburbs. Mm. And the guy, instead of like smashing the cake in her face, decided that when he went under her dress to pull the garter out with his teeth. Okay. He'd like go that all the way Jesus. and just move like right in on I'm just going down on her in front of everybody. Oh, dude. And all his boys were like cheering. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I like, I <laughs> was so ready. I, honestly, I was ready to just start unplugging shit and be like, I shouldn't. 
I, I don't even want to fucking DJ yeah, okay. your wedding. Like, who the fuck are these people? I don't, like, that's one. Savages. Just, uh, unless you have, like, a real solid reason to do that, just don't fucking do that. It's so weird and gross. Like, it's just, yeah. If, you pulled, if you're listening to this and you pulled your wife's car off with your teeth at your wedding, uh, for the record, it is, it's weird. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah. And, and think about which one of your guys fought for it. And then, like, yeah. think about him for a second. Because I'm just still like, mm. I don't know. All right. We should, we should get this in a more positive direction. Uh, so we're, we're coming up in the holidays. And uh, we live in an area that is very uh, Northern European influenced. And most of those cultures have a tradition of finding comfort and warmth or finding warmth from being active outside. Mm -hmm. Derek, uh, what do you do to keep yourself warm in the winter? Whether that's something active that you're doing outside to embrace fresh air or something that you're doing inside to sort of hoard the warmth. Well, uh, there's two answers to that. One is in- indoor fires in the winter. Yeah. The mm. absolute way to go. I mean, if, if I could do that every single day, I would, I would have a fire going all day every day um, through the winter. Absolutely. Um, the, other, the other component to that is uh, it's not really a, a thing that I've been doing but want to get into, which is snowshoeing. I want to try mm. to get out Dude, and do some yeah. snowshoeing. I got a pair at the end of yeah. the season last year. Yeah, so I'm in. Oh, I had a guess for yours. I thought you were going to say Peloton. No, no I've already got the Peloton. I mean, it could, it could it could be a way to do it, but that's not <laughs> yeah. my. I feel like that's more year round. Yeah. For no, you. I, and, like, and, I like your answer. And uh, sauna, <laughs> getting into sauna. sauna? Ooh, more, yes, know? sir. Mm-hmm. So that's another. Now we're just piling onto it. Yeah, but, Paul Hennessy's got a sauna. He yep, does. Yep. So shout out to Paul. We're going to come over. I'm I'm all about the weekly schwitz. There's no way around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, fuck, man. Yeah. Well, Charles. The the obvious lame answer is uh, being on the couch with the pile of uh, animals that mm-hmm. live in my abode. So my wife, Marnie, the doggy bogey, <laughs> kitty cat, Lucky, and myself. Now that we actually can all chill on the same couch. Yeah, yeah. they're Pull coming around. Dog, there's a blanket. There's, you know, there's a cat leg on, on me and head on Marnie's lap. And the dog's buried underneath the blanket. And... Uh, we got a bottle of wine open, some candles lit. Maybe we're watching something on Netflix. Maybe we're listening to tunes. But just that, like the sense of warmth of just being in a, just a pile of animals on the couch, drinking something to keep your cockles warm, whether that be a bottle of red wine or some spirits like we're enjoying here this evening. Uh, that's that to me. I mean, I, I frequently uh, remark to people because I think – Warm weather people make fun of Northerners for saying this type of thing. But it's true when I say it because I very much am a Northerner. I'm I'm a Middle Eastern, Midwestern. I appreciate cold weather. I like Mm -hmm. the contrast. I enjoy being able to appreciate hot food in a different way then you can if you are in a warm weather climate 365 days a year mm-hmm. or i mean try eating a bowl of soup in july what, you basically the whole time you're thinking why the fuck am i doing this, this <laughs> exactly. is the dumbest thing ever. and and also so those are the the my uh my examples are always eating a bowl of soup in the winter mm-hmm. uh, just as like a general example and then the other great example is on a really cold blustery snowy day when you got a plan 
to meet the crew at a bar and each of you individually braves the elements to get to the tavern and you can barely crack the door open because the wind is blowing so hard and it blows in like a snowdrift and you pound your shoes on the carpet because you don't want to make a mess and you take off your scarf and your coat and you set them on the coat rack and then you hunker down and you rub your hands together audibly and you sit down at the table and there's a candle lit and it's dimly lit in the whole bar and you order a bottle of wine and you and your friends are huddled together, pour yourselves a glass and you're like in this place. Like Mm -hmm. we made it, we're here. Mm -hmm. There's something about that that feels so different than it does any other time of the year. And I fucking adore it. I like genuinely adore it. I know people who are from, like I have friends who or family from like Lebanon or from California who are like, fuck you, nobody likes that. You're saying that because you're in denial. No, genuinely, I absolutely love it. If I were to move to a warm climate, I would still want to experience uh, like the holidays here, at least for some portion of it. I would want to be in a climate with like white snow uh, adrift in the streets and that glow that you get of the earth and the the clenching cold and seeing your breath and the icicles in my beard. I I love it. I do actually genuinely enjoy it. But then those things make you it's the the contrast you feel mm-hmm. cold and this yeah. makes you feel warmth in your heart and in your cockles like that's just a that dynamic is a beautiful thing that that's so it for me too and it's it's the duality of it i love sweet and salty i love crunchy and soft like i love trying to figure out like all the ways of getting all of the experiences kind of put together mm-hmm. and i love the i earned it from being in the cold to being in the warm. It mm-hmm. just, it changes how you feel about it. Yeah. And there are, you're so right. There are those days where like I'm in the Carhartt overalls and I got the snowmobiling boots on and I have a scarf and a parka and everything. And then you get somewhere and you slowly peel off the layers. Yep. And I've never felt so much at home as I have in those moments. Right. Right. We've, we've talked about it on the show, but Every article basically is coming out right now, either talking about Kushli or Hige, the two mm, yeah, Scan- the right. two Scandinavian theories on mm-hmm. that. But the idea is brave the worst of it so that you can come home to the warmth of the best of it. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, the fire, like the indoor yep. fire, the yeah. hearth, having I, that with with snow raging around you. Yep. Yeah. You look out the window and you're you're in a snow globe, in effect. That's so fucking cool. I this love is, that. This is this is something that I've I have never actually said uh, out loud to another human being. But um, when uh, when I went through uh, my divorce eleven years ago, uh, I was having trouble sleeping, and so I was uh, I was doing like the uh, thunderstorm like white noise app mm, that you could download, sure. and it Rail actually sounds thunderstorms. Yeah, and it and it, it it helped. It was soothing. It was like something to keep my mind not on things. And then shortly thereafter, uh, I was offered a job by a very good friend of mine uh, to open a bar in Wisconsin, and we moved there. And I didn't want the same like vibe when I moved into this new place. And so I went through it, and they had a roaring fire, and I had that sound on. And that was what oh, I went to for the it. first week. Crackling. A still yeah. night with yeah. a crackling fire. The first week that I lived in that apartment in a city that I was not planning on ever living in. 
and doing a job I had never planned on doing and trying to figure out a new life that I hadn't really planned on, that weirdly triggered everything in my DNA to feel like this place is home. Mm -hmm. And I would wake up just feeling pretty centered. Mm -hmm. And I I, I will always feel that way about fires. I will always want to stand around a fire. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love like a good bonfire in the summer, there's nothing better than like a good fire and a fireplace on like a winter's day. I couldn't agree more. You know, like that to me is that that's it. So for me, I think I agree with Charles on this one. Uh, It's literally like cuddling up with my incredible partner and our dog. And if Harold will come somewhere near our orange Mm -hmm. cat, cool. Hmm. Otherwise like we'll spend a little time together and then my wife will go to bed and I'll go downstairs and then Harold will just jump on my chest. And that's, that's it. That's like the warmth. Cause it's, it's like, Hey, all right, it's cold out. What do we want to be? We want to be warmer. So how do we do that? We all just huddle it a little closer. And it's like, even like friends, like even casual friends, the hugs are a little bit longer. You know, it's like a little bit more of an embrace because we're also warming up a little bit. And again, like Charles was saying, when you walk into a bar, you walk into a restaurant, somebody recognizes you. The first thing they want to do is give you some of their warmth. It's a physical example of I am literally transferring my love for you to you through a little bit of bodily warmth. And I love that. Plus I have to say from, you know, living in California for 10 years, like living in a cold climate builds way more character than Mm. living in like a climate where it's just always comfortable. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're, when it's 20 below and you scrape it off the car, like it's just, it, it builds much more character than if it's always just 72 degrees all the time. For fucking sure. Not that there's anything wrong with like, uh, Especially the perfect weather, San Diego, you know, yeah. the yeah. fluctuation around the year is what, 10 total degrees. Right, correct. Yep. Full sun, so many days. That's, yeah, you can't. I'm not saying that you guys got it bad and we got it good. I'm saying I enjoy what we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You take it for granted, though, when you're like, when it's sunny all the time, you're like, can I just have a rainy day? Please, can I have a rainy day? I do like, you know? yeah, I do like rain. Yeah. Oh, man, at night especially. Yeah. Mm. I love yeah. rain at night, the way you sleep, when the pitter-patter on the window. Mm-hmm. I love that thunder. feeling. Yeah. The smell yeah. of rain. That's the best. When you have your windows open because it's not crazy sideways rain, all the windows are open. Yeah. The whole house, yeah. every window in the house is open, and you're just snuggled into bed, and you can just hear the rain falling all around you. Oh, man, that's such a cool feeling. Dude, it's a lullaby for every one of your senses. That's the best. Yeah, uh, you don't need your app that night. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, should we have one more sip? And then, Charles, you want to bring it back home? Cheers. Cheers. Man, that is fucking great. Oh, this is a fun one. I've been... I've been... Uh, Nesting this one away in my cheek like a squirrel for a while here. What's a thing, Derek, that you can get yourself at the grocery store anytime you want that once seemed like a splurge? Ooh, that is a great question. That you can get anytime you... Okay. It's Velveeta cheese. And it's making like a queso out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, shit. That's, okay. The whole block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's one thing. Yeah, yeah, getting Velveeta cheese. I don't do it a lot, but it's that's that one thing where you can get anytime you want. 
Sure. Well, now hold on. If you're going to talk about making like a dip, yeah. ooh, let's talk us through. Let's, well, what, I mean, what's my, this my, fucking my dip is not incredibly sophisticated. Talk about it. Okay. That is not your problem. <laughs> yeah. So there's two ways you can go about it, gentlemen. It's not super sophisticated, right? So uh, there's you can go salsa, right? You can kind of mix sure. it with salsa, do that way, mm-hmm. or you can go with chili, and you can mix it that way. Oh yeah, sure. Be more of a okay. chili queso. It's I don't make it. From, it's not like it's from scratch. It's just more of like one of those like. You know, fat kid splurges. So hold thing. on, hold on. Sure. If this is a chili queso, are you doing like a like a can of Hormel chili? Absolutely. And a block of absolutely. Okay, yeah, I, no, yeah. got it. Yep, yep. So like, this is literally the hack to the uh, Taco Bell chili cheese burrito. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is store bought cheddar, a little bit of Velveeta, and Hormel chili is how you get to the most popular item on the only Minnesota. Taco Bell menu. You just add um, a little cheddar in there for sharpness. Is that how they do it? And that's how you get the stringiness. But you need a Got it. Little, okay. little bit of the Velveeta for the creaminess to melt mm-hmm. in with the cheese. Also, by itself, there's Velveeta doesn't have any like pull? No. Really? Okay. So you need you need the I'm, mild I don't, cheddar. I've never prepared shreds. anything specifically with Velveeta. Um, I, I like American cheese, it. and I make, I make cheese sauces using American cheese, but... Not Velveeta. I am a Velveeta Rotel Jimmy Dean breakfast mm. sausage. Oh, oh, fuck. Okay. Two heaping teaspoons of cumin, one heaping teaspoon of chipotle powder, Ooh. and then a little bit of garlic, of roasted garlic powder from uh, Penzi's. Mm-hmm. That is my queso dip that I will make for a foosball party. When I know that nobody is looking for anything mm-hmm. fancy, mm-hmm. in case of emergency, in get case of emergency, okay. good one. Uh, this will get jalapeno business, mm-hmm. and you will talk about it for years to come. I feel wow. like you guys have been here before. <laughs> this is, and I think uh, Velveeta is probably more classified as cheese product. Yeah, it is one hundred percent cheese product. Yeah. Yep. I've also told this story on the pod before, but an ex-girlfriend of mine lived in the upstairs of this couple's house in Northeast Minneapolis. And the bottom drawer in their fridge, when you opened it, was literally filled with this giant bag that said cheese product on it. Amazing. The whole drawer was a giant bag of wow. cheese product. What, what are like, you using? That, I, that's where I'm like... dip in the ladle. Queso. I, dip it in case of emergency. I, I, yeah. But like, that's, so, that's so many emergencies. Like That's my <laughs> yeah. thing. Right. Like, I love that as a singular thing that I can look forward to every now and then. I will fuck with probably once a year, I will fuck with Velveeta shells and cheese because it brings me back to like a daycare moment because I had only mm-hmm. had craft growing up and yep. then I had this other thing and I'm like, what is this? To the powder, to the actual squeezy To the bag. squeezy yeah. bag. Yeah. And it's not good, but every now and then I need to have that. Mm-hmm. But those are really like the only uses for me. And when somebody would have like an entire drawer full, like I'm just like, what else are you putting that in? Mm-hmm. Because I, again, going back to the lack of pull, like I have used American cheese slices in grilled cheese, but it's always in conjecture with another cheese because I want a little more toothsome pull to it. Yep, yep. Uh, if I were going to answer that, I think it has to be uh, protein for me. Mm. Uh, I used to go, if I was going to have either, uh, well, anything involving beef, basically, it was whatever the cheapest thing was. Mm. I never thought about fat content for mm-hmm. ground beef, and I sure as shit never thought about like what cut of steak I wanted. Yeah, It was just whatever I could afford. Yep. And 
now I have to catch myself every now and then when I'm at a butcher or even if I'm just at like Hy-Vee at their meat counter, I have to think like, hey, hold on, reflect on like how nice this is and how different this is Mm -hmm. than your life was 15 years ago. Yes. And really be honest about that and think about what are you going to do with this? Because there's, there's also the urge and I don't know if this is going to resonate with anybody out there, but like if you grew up poor and you have had times trying to figure out how you were going to make rent, Hmm. there is an urge to overspend at every possible chance that you can when you have money Mm -hmm. Because it feels good to be like, I'm doing this shit now. And I understand how selfish and fleeting that is. But I've talked to a lot of people who had a similar background to me. And we all fall prey to that same shit every now and then. Mm -hmm. And it's also been, as I've gotten older, a discussion that I've been able to have with myself. Mm -hmm. Where, what am I going to do with this? Like, is this time to really ball out and get the best cut of meat. Mm -hmm. Well then, yeah, then I am going to drive down to France 44 and I am going to ask for, or I am going to go to Clancy's meats and I'm going to ask for X cut. But wait, am, am I just making chili with like fucking beef chunks? Then do I really need to do that to try and prove to myself that somehow this is like better? No, I don't like maybe I'll just do this grass fed beef from X place and like, cool. This is at my well, with age hobby. comes wisdom. I think that when you you reach a certain age, you realize that you don't need to do it just to do it. Mm-hmm. Which that's the example. You know, people people are like, "Well, I made this burger with a, a dry aged wagyu, <laughs> wagyu ribeye. Yep. Why? Why? Why did you do that? Leave you that whole treated that piece of meat. It did not deserve to be ground Correct. and turned into a sandwich. That's not. That is not." the purpose of that cut and the way that it was raised and, and aged. No, that's not, that but that, not that's what still, you do with that. that's still a discussion that I have to have with myself. Mm. I have to remind sure. myself like, dude, do you, do you, so you feel like you're still sometimes prone to that where you absolutely. Okay. That's interesting. I, I get there. I get there with like trying to track down hard to find records. Mm. Like I, I will tell myself that I'm okay with paying way more to get this one record that I really want. But is it the fact that I want that record really bad? Cause I can listen to it right now. Or is it the fact that I want to be able to tell people that I have this record and that I worked my ass off to get it. I think that's a little different. I, I that's see it's the same urge to me. No, it's, I don't think so because I think that it's a time and place dynamic for putting a, a particular ingredient into a dish that doesn't have to be there. So the difference is that, if you use like a blend of cheap cuts that I use, for instance, to make a burger, mm-hmm. it actively tastes better than the way more expensive ribeye. Sure. But you getting that record you want and the condition that it's in and that exact pressing, that is the most satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a difference. It's, yes, it's costly. And is it is it maybe potentially irresponsible? Yeah. But that that I would compare that more to getting the such a caviar. Like let's All do right. Dutch okay. chips. Okay. Let's do the All Dutch right. yeah. kettle chips and or ruffle chips yep. with caviar because fuck it, it's New Year's. Let's party. Yep. Okay. We're doing bubbles. We're doing yep. old Dutch ripple chips and a cetric caviar. Right. I will. I because will, we want a ball. That's the record. I will agree with you on that. I guess there there are times like I've never poured a stupidly expensive booze into like 
Diet Coke, right. yeah. because I just wanted to have that cocktail. Right, like Splinter and I have a regularly recurring joke about taking like an exceptional spirit, like an EC, uh, or uh, sorry, an ER, like an ER seventeen Eagle Rare, and and, pour, and we're, uh, we'll we'll always like I say like yeah man I was at Longman and Eagle in Chicago last weekend and they had a little bit of ER left, um, the ER seventeen left, and he's like oh did you get a uh, Pibber Pepper? Pepper <laughs> Like, Mr. Or doctor, bro. Mr. Or doctor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fucking again. Takes me back to the Carl uh, Malone. The, yeah, the Carl yeah. Malone Wayne Gretzky story. Because I can, Wayne. <laughs> because I can, motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, that, like that's. There's always that that. There will always be a poor kid on the shoulder instead of the angel and demon. There'll always be a poor kid on one shoulder remembering how hard it was to get anything that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And then on the other shoulder, it'll be the kid who like looked at my bank account at the best possible time and was like, bro, we can pull out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it trying to rectify those two is always it it's tough being the fulcrum of a seesaw. Yeah, it is. Is all I can it say. Is. It is. Because no one <laughs> no one's also telling you how to manage your how, of like, how you not. Manage. there's no advice coming no, in sure you know yeah, right you're kind of figuring it out as you go yeah the reason that this has been this question has been nested away for as long as it has is because via doing this pod for as long as we have now this is episode number 42 i often think of questions as i'm just milling about and living my everyday life i don't remember exactly pre- or precisely what it was that made this occur to me but i was just grocery shopping and i purchased something and someone asked me how much it was and i said I don't know. And I was like, wow, man, that's, you know, like I'm, I'm quite fortunate to be able to do that, mm-hmm. to not say that yep. what, what have you, the chanterelles mm-hmm. were $26 for a half pound or whatever they cost these days to, to be able to, mm-hmm. to have that luxury is, you know, I, mm-hmm. I worked really hard to get where I am. I'm definitely not trying to brag, but when that occurred to me that like, oh man, like, I would. I never would have done it. It would have been button mushrooms. Mm-hmm. If it, yeah. you know, it wasn't mushrooms. I don't know what it was, but it would have been buttons. Well, for sure, it would have been buttons. Which yep. one's two ninety nine for the giant sixteen twenty ounce package? Uh, for me, I I would deduce it to something like uh, when when I have uh, a craving for something, it it could be all across the board. A common one for me is like a seafood splurge. Like I just want to eat a bunch of seafood. I just want to get a pile of seafood. So I would say like crab. Mm-hmm. Okay, it used to just be snow crab, and yep. it used to be a lot cheaper than it is now. Yep. That's the other thing. Even when it was cheap, it was too expensive mm-hmm. for me yep. at times because yep. I was like, dude, I gotta pay rent. I got all these bills. Mm-hmm. I gotta make sure you know, like mm-hmm. my people are taken care of, and and that like the fridge is full am i really gonna buy some snow crabs so that i don't have food for the week that kind of a situation when you're like young you know but now if i want that splurge and i want to go and just load up on some crab and then like grab a tray like a tray and just cover the crab and get those culinary scissors throw it on there and then just post up and do nothing but tear up crab Mm -hmm. like get getting full-on crab Mm-hmm. That's a lot of it's a, a lot of work. Uh, not necessarily opening the crab, but it's a lot of work to actually fill up Correct. on crab. But man, if I want to fill up on crab, I can fill up on crab. And there's 
even with snow crab having been six ninety nine when I was in my early twenties, I never could have done that. Yeah. Like I would have, I'd get like a cluster and right. be like, oh man, should I really be doing this? Yeah. So for me, I would say that uh, being able to go to the store now, if I want to, I can go to Lund's, get some king crab legs, and then just go fucking tear it up. And that's I, I'm I'm so appreciative of that. Yep. Um, uh, it's not, yeah, it's not a humble brag. It's like, wow, I'm so appreciative of the fact that, that I can do that. It's humbling. It's yeah. humbling is the best way to put it. Yeah. Like to recognize where we've all come from and like yeah. what we're looking at. I, I think that's a huge thing. And I kind of want to tie this back into what, what you do here. Right. So, all right. So if you buy a suit at even a place like K&G's, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a tailor there that will help fit it to you yeah, and yeah. will make it look nice. Yeah. And that's I think that's step one yeah. is have somebody do that for 25 or 35 extra dollars and they'll make it look nicer uh, like for you on you right. from, from a box format to something that's closer to where you're at. Right. From that point... Like, what would you say the best path is to get to where you're at? Like, to uh, what you're doing. To graduating to, like, the true custom to, like, like, thing? To, like, a bespoke mm-hmm. thing. Because I feel like that it seems like an unattainable path, given what we were just talking about. But it's mm-hmm. not at all. It's actually a very easy road straight to that. Yeah. It, you know, it's, like, our, our, like, experience for, like, a suit starts at 995 right? And so... You know, for some people, then you're like, holy shit, like $1,000 for a suit, um, that's a lot of money. And there's some people that it's like they're spending three, dollars $4,000 on a suit. You know what right. I mean? That's regular for them. So and I think it's – There's a range as well yeah. depending on the fabric that they it, select. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it all comes down to, to fabric. I mean there's no cost for any customizations. Mm-hmm. All of that is straight across the board. I mean what it really comes down to is, is the fabric and what kind of, you know – luxury experience he went out of the fabric so for the guy that's just like getting his first piece and he's kind of like building his wardrobe and he's going to graduate uh into things down the road you know 995 if you think about making a suit from scratch maybe a lot of money but it's a good investment into something that you're going to have for several years correct and you it's, know? it's not I, I think that's something else that i had trouble understanding when i was younger is that i could pay 200 dollars five times for a suit that I could wear three or four times mm-hmm. and then I'd get one little stain on it and it was burned forever or yeah. the the terrible, easy, loose pull thread would completely fall apart. Right. And then you're done. Like, do you want to make that investment five or six times or do you want to invest in something that will always look great on you and, and work for you. That's exactly it. And, you know, part of our experience too is like we, you know, if a button comes off or if you need like a tweak, you just come back to us and say, Hey, can, you know, we, we take care of that maintenance of, of that garment, you know? So, and, and with the garments being fully canvas and that's like a whole nother conversation, you know, most of what you'll, you'll find off the rack is like a fused garment. So they Correct. use it, they use a glue. Um, and that falls apart over time. That's why you're buying it, you know, five, six times over where, our, our canvases, the backbone of the suit, is stitched into place. So you don't really have to dry clean it as often. Mm. So that way it's going to last you several years. I mean, I have some Fox Brothers fabrics where if you make a jacket or an overcoat, I mean, that'll out, that garment will outlive the wearer for sure. Um, you know, and that's just a, it's a whole different thing. It's something you can pass down um, over generations, which is the way it used to be, you know, at the you know, turn of the, the 20th century. Can I ask you a slightly related question? 
go ahead. Is there is there a pattern that you're in love with right now? Like as somebody who is on the forefront of men's fashion, mm-hmm. uh, we've been through a bunch of different cycles. You know, yep. you've had houndstooth have its run. You've had uh, like a tartan plaid have its run. Yep. You've had the pinstripes have their run. The straight. Like, just straight colors mm-hmm. with nothing else going on. Like, mm-hmm. what are you in love with right now? It's it's a pattern. It's an exploded Glenn plaid. So, like, what I what I love lately is, like, it's black and white, exploded mm-hmm. Glenn plaid. It works great for an overcoat, works great for suits, sport coat. I mean, it's it's a really dynamic pattern. In your exploded Glenn plaid, is there an underthread of red through it? Uh, there can be. Ooh, yeah, there can right. be. Yep, yep, absolutely. And that's the that's the fun of it is you can pick these undertones, you know, that kind of reflect your personality and kind of have a little fun with it, you know. So it's something that you can really kind of sink your teeth into and play with. So for uh, for the fellows out there that are listening right now and uh, maybe for uh, their partners or friends that happen to be female that are maybe looking to try and help somebody find mm-hmm. uh, their way to a bespoke suit mm-hmm. and or some incredible clothes, like... Where where should they go to find you? Clubcareway.com is the best place. I mean, that'll that'll give you kind of a, a sense of what we do. Um, we make menswear is kind of the, the primary of what we do, but we can make women's wear too, you know, because we get a lot of requests for from women who are like, look, I have a tough time getting jackets and sure. pants and all, all of those things. So we can make everything, um, which is nice. Um, but we're, you know, we're really dedicated to the return of the gentleman. That's mm-hmm. that's really what, what we're dedicated to. Um, and we'll kind of be chasing that, you know, as we go into the future. And for those people that are here in the Twin Cities that can actually get here, uh, just one more time, do you want to just reiterate like the services that are also involved here? Yeah. So, so we've the, the kind of the heart of our business is the heart of our business is the tailoring is is the clothing. But we also have a private barber shop. We have two great barbers, Christopher and Johnny, who are phenomenal. Amazing. They're traditional barbers, so they're they're using straight razors and, and some of those finishes. Um, and then we're also building out a private cigar lounge, which is underground, underneath the mansion, which will be... Um, it's so sexy! Yeah, it'll be hopefully open end of February. So first contractors get in there in about a week. Uh, is there anywhere else that you would want people to follow you specifically, like even just to see your style? I, I think Instagram is the, the really the best platform, and that's sure. at Club Caraway. Uh You personally? At uh, all? The Cloth Sommelier. There you go. Yep. Uh, Mr. Charles, anything else you want to throw in before the end of this? No, I think we nailed it. (laughs) Actually, okay, there is. I wanted to almost rewind the tape after some of those last points really quickly to say that the the fashion question, question number one, we've Mm -hmm. completed all six questions, but to refer to uh, what Derek was saying about the... uh, who is the um, fabric maker? Fox? Fox Brothers. Mm-hmm. Fox Brothers, yeah. right? How it could outlive the wearer. Yeah. Uh, this I'm, I'm going to uh, succinctly answer that first question for our, our buddy Paul uh, Butenhoff. He would say, by quality, because of how long it lasts, Correct. because for the amount you spend on shitty stuff, and I know that sometimes it's hard to make that, that uh, singular payment or to put it on your credit card, mm-hmm. but... If you get Quality a really the first good time. coat, right, mm-hmm. and it costs you, that coat costs you $700, but you've been buying a coat every winter because you've been getting a $60 coat, mm-hmm. if you can find a way to make it work where you can get the nicer coat, that's going to last you longer than 10 winters and 
might last you your entire lifetime mm-hmm. uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, good boots. Like that's something mm-hmm. that's a lesson I've had to learn over the years. I'm wearing mm-hmm. Iron Rangers from Red Wing right now. Mm-hmm. For years, I bought okay boots. I, I was going to say decent, but that's a lie. I bought okay boots and then the fucking sole would fall off yeah. within a year of, of heavy use, just trekking around cities or taking the cabin or what have you. But Iron Rangers, you know, these cost, I think, like 375 or something like that. Mm-hmm. These things might last me 25 years. Do the math, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that would be, that's that's definitely what Paul would say if we were to ask him that question. Absolutely. So I'm going to answer the question for him on that basis. And I think it's something that everyone here can probably agree Absolutely. with. Absolutely. better. And again, it requires having the ability to do that. Yep. And don't overstep your bounds to try and get absolutely absolutely if you have banana republic jeans right now they're fucking falling apart Mm -hmm. but and they're on top of those red wings i (laughs) i I will straight up say all all the time step further uh i ran into my house changed and came here Mm -hmm. i am wearing target jeans right now because i had to be doing some work on my knees and i didn't want to wear something nice and Mm -hmm. i almost was like embarrassed walking in here (laughs) wearing jeans that i'm wearing but that said Everything serves a purpose and absolutely like $20 jeans. If you know that you have to like get them dirty and do whatever, go for it. But at the same time, have things on you that make you feel good. And I promise you, if you've never owned anything that made you feel good, go out and find something like just buy something, spend more than you would. But go buy something that makes you feel good, and you will mm-hmm. get that money back. Absolutely. Every time you look in the mirror, every time you see your partner's face or your friend's faces or maybe somebody that you like that doesn't even know, mm-hmm. if you try a little bit and say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to wear something that is actually like – it fits me and it makes me look good, Yep. you will feel better going into every situation. And I really feel like that then helps you reflect that back to other people. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, Derek, thank you again for letting us hang out at Club Caraway. Uh, again, uh, keep following us. As soon as uh, this the Cigar Lounge goes live, if you'd like to smoke cigars mm-hmm. with us, I'm sure we'll figure out an event that we can pull off from there. But uh, yes. until then, again, thank you so much for dialing in. Uh, again, please leave a review. Spotify. <laughs> yeah, Spotify now. Spotify literally just started uh, their review system t- today. The day of the of this recording, so today, yeah. Uh, so Spotify now accessories. We got yeah, like yep. we got a lot of reviews on on, on Apple. Apple. I think we got like yep. thirty, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. That's quite a lot because people people are rarely driven mm-hmm. to leave positive reviews for mm-hmm. stuff. Usually, mm-hmm. they're driven to leave negative reviews. Yep. Yep. So we have thirty thirty ish five star reviews on Apple, which is fucking fantastic We're, and we love every one of you yeah thank you guys like we yeah we we adore you we had when we were at dinner actually at Tortoria Mucci on uh, Saturday evening we were That's approached cool by shit. a table that said that they, they enjoy the podcast which is fucking flattering yeah. anytime that happens we were absolutely taken aback and flattered and, and we love that and we love you for it uh, but yeah if you want to you can still leave us a review on Apple but Spotify also now mm-hmm. accepts reviews and yeah if you, uh, if you dig it let us know. Yeah. Keep sharing it around for people, people and we're going to keep doing what we can. Thank you guys so much. Uh, again, follow us at all the libations for everyone things and uh, have a wonderful and a very happy holiday season for those of you that celebrate. And for yes. those of you that be don't, safe. I hope that you just have a wonderful and a warm time over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Be safe. Home yeah. test. Home tests are available. You can buy them. Love you guys. Keep wearing your goddamn mask. Too. Thanks guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye.